2023 regular meeting of the Municipal Transportation Agency Board of Directors and Parking Authority Commission to order. Good afternoon, directors, staff, and members of the public. We thank you for joining us. This meeting is being held in hybrid format, occurring in person at City Hall Room 400, broadcast live on SFGov TV and by phone. Please note that beginning March 1st, there was a full sunset of the emergency order provisions that suspended certain local meeting laws and a time limit of 10 minutes of remote public comment on each action or discussion item has been set and noticed for this meeting. The phone number to use today is 415-655-001, access code 2663-860-7018. When the item is called, dial star three to enter the queue. Commenters will have up to two minutes to provide comment unless otherwise noted by the chair. Please speak clearly, ensure you're in a quiet location, and turn off any TVs or computers around you. We thank you for your cooperation. Places you on item number two, roll call. Director Hemminger. Here. Hemminger present. Director Henderson. Here. Henderson present. Director Hinzi. Present. Hinzi present. Director So. Here. So present. Uh, Director Kahina. Present. Kahina present. Chair Eakin. Here. Eakin present. We do expect Director Yukutiel to join us shortly. Uh, thank you, directors. You have a quorum. And for the record, I note that Director Hinzi is attending this meeting remotely. Director Hinzi is reminded that she must appear on camera throughout the meeting and in order to speak or vote on any items. Places you on item number three. The ringing and use of cell phones and similar sound-producing electronic devices are prohibited at this meeting. The chair may order the removal from the meeting room any person responsible for the ringing or use of a cell phone or other similar sound-producing electronic devices. Item number four, approval of minutes for the August 1st regular meeting and the August 15th special meeting. Thank you. Directors, are there any amendments to the minutes for August 1st or 15th? Seeing none, we'll open public comment on the minutes. Seeing no one in the room rising, could you please open the phone? At this time, we'll move to remote public comment, not to exceed a total time of 10 minutes. Members of the public wishing to comment should dial star three to enter the queue. Each speaker will have two minutes. We have no speakers. Okay, close public comment. Is there a motion, colleagues, on the minutes? I'll move both sets of minutes, Madam Chair. Thank you. Second? I can second. Thank you. Please call the roll. On the motion to approve the minutes, Director Hemminger. Aye. Hemminger, aye. Director Henderson. Aye. Henderson, aye. Director Hinzi. Aye. Hinzi, aye. Director So. Aye. So, aye. Director Kahina. Aye. Kahina, aye. Chair Eakin. Aye. Eakin, aye. Thank you. The minutes are approved. Places you on item five, communications. I have none. Okay. Next item, item number six, introduction of new or unfinished business by board members. Okay, uh, colleagues, I will ask for new and unfinished, but I'm gonna take chair's prerogative here and just take a moment to welcome both of our new board members. I know uh, Director Lydia So attended one previous meeting and this is Director Dominica Henderson's first meeting with us. So once Director Yukutiel arrives shortly, we will be at full force for the first time in I don't know how many months. And we're just so delighted to have you both on board. I know uh, Director So was welcomed at the last meeting uh, where you said a few opening remarks. So I would just like to officially welcome Director Henderson. Uh, and I'll just, for the members of the public, just share a few words about your background and then turn to you to offer some remarks. Uh, Director Henderson is a lifelong San Franciscan, a longtime public servant, and she has worked to support the Bayview community and improve housing policy and create affordable housing opportunities for those in need. She currently serves as the Chief Social Impact Officer for the Oakland Housing Authority, where she is focused on uh, delivering impactful housing subsidy programs and resident services to over 17,000 households. She served on the Bayview Citizens Advisory Committee 
And in her press release appointing Director Henderson, Mayor Breed emphasized that her ability to bring different perspectives to the table will help as we work to stabilize and restore public transit to support our neighborhoods and our economic recovery. So Director Henderson, we're so happy to have you here. And please, uh, if you'd like to say a few words. Thank you, and uh, I appreciate being here. Um, I wanna just say hello, my name is Dominica Henderson. Um, and this is a really exciting moment for me. My, um, my family history has a little bit of background with MTA and that my grandfather was an operator for about 25 years. Um, and so I remember, um, you know, dressing up at a Halloween in his muting costume <laughs> or his muting uniform. And um, so I, I just really am excited to be able to serve, um, to serve alongside you all and to help move trans public transit and transportation in San Francisco forward in a great way. And so I'm excited to be here and thank you for having me. Thank you so much for your service in advance. Um, and just one final note, I'm not gonna put you each on the spot, but I am gonna give you a little bit of notice that at the beginning of this year at our board workshop, I asked each of my colleagues on the board to share with us what were their top three priorities for the year. So we all sort of know where each other are coming from and we can make adequate space on our agendas for your priorities. So. Going to give you a minute to think about it and get settled, but maybe in October at one of our meetings, you can prepare to share back with us your top three priorities for your service. Thank you. Directors, are there other items of new or unfinished business? Come on, full board meeting. <laughs> all these people. It's all right. Seeing no. Uh, there, Director Yukutiel, do you want to jump in on newer and finished, as usual? No? All right. Um, then I'm just going to say one more thing, which is a little bit of a, a darker note, um, which is just to acknowledge, again, the tragedy that our city suffered with a four-year-old girl uh, being killed at 4th and King. Let you all know, my colleagues, that there was an event acknowledging this tragedy and that Director Tumlin and I uh, attended and spoke and that I, at that event, on behalf of this entire board, reiterated this board's 100% commitment to Vision Zero, and I committed publicly to bring a Vision Zero policy to you all, my colleagues, for consideration if there are other ways that we can look at this challenge at a citywide, system-wide basis, and I plan to bring more information on that at our October 3rd Vision Zero deep dive um, conversation, which is coming up shortly. Okay. Any other items, seeing none, could we please go to public comment on new or unfinished business for anyone in the room? Okay, and seeing none, Secretary Silva, please go to remote. At this time, we'll move to remote public comment not to exceed a total time of 10 minutes. Members of the public wishing to comment should dial star three to enter the queue. Each speaker will have two minutes. We have no speakers. Okay, close public comment. Please move to item seven. Item seven, the director's report. John Lynn. Thank you. As always, lots going on, despite the fact that it is summer recess. Um, let's start with autonomous vehicles. Uh, we last reported back in July that the California Public Utilities Commission decided to allow unlimited expansion of autonomous vehicles for commercial use throughout San Francisco without regard to number of vehicles or geography or time of day. Um, on August 16, the city of San Francisco filed a motion with the CPUC asking them to stay the impl implementation of that decision. 
Uh, we've not yet heard back from the CPUC, and uh, depending upon how they respond, our next step would be to ask the CPUC for a rehearing of that decision, uh, and it would be an opportunity for us to present additional information. Because in the meantime, as has been reported widely in the press, AVs continue to create challenges uh, on our streets. There have been a few pretty serious ones, including cruise AV collisions with city vehicles and others, and the cruise fleet failure in North Beach during outside lands that was also widely reported. Um, in response to those incidents, uh, the California Department of Motor Vehicles asked crews to reduce the number of driverless vehicles that it operates in San Francisco to 50 during the day and 150 during the evening. We are not sure how long this restriction will last, and we are in the process of scheduling a meeting with the DMV in order to, to learn more. Um, as always, we are eager to see all of the upside of autonomous vehicle technology and the fact that, miraculously, they follow the speed limit. But at the same time, we have a responsibility for managing the streets and ensuring the safety of all roadway users. And we're eager to work with industry in order to provide them with the right runway for expansion in San Francisco that captures the upside of this technology while managing the downsides. Uh, next up, uh, thank you, Chair Eakin, for your acknowledgement of the event at 4th and King following the fatality uh, that we experienced there. Um, and thank you for your leadership on this topic, um, as well as your engagement with Mayor Breed, who has been similarly uh, providing us very strong direction on Vision Zero and particularly uh, responding to this incident. Um, so since then, uh, on August 25th, we removed one of the two right turn lanes uh, at 4th and King. So there's only a single right turn lane now going south on 4th Street, turning right uh, onto King, which is the on-ramp to Interstate 280. Uh, and last Friday, on September 1st, uh, we changed out the traffic signal so that drivers only see a flashing yellow arrow um, instead of the green light that they used to see. Uh, we're hoping that these changes will help, but as you know, much more is needed throughout the city, and we will be talking about uh, all of that uh, at our October 3rd MTA board meeting, where we'll do yet another Vision Zero quarterly deep dive. Uh, third item is legislative update, where there's also been a lot of action. Um, as you have probably heard in the media, um, Senator Wiener's SB 532, the bridge toll increase, uh, has been suspended while he works to build consensus uh, both within the region and across the state on how to ensure that transit service can continue while we gear up for a 2026 regional measure. Um, so he has suspended that, but what he intends to do is to move forward with an urgency measure um, either at the end of this year or the very beginning of 2024 um, that will require a two-thirds vote in both houses along with the governor's signature um, in order to take effect. Um, we're also waiting for updates from the state uh, about how they'll distribute the relief funding that they already allocated. We should learn uh, about that probably around the end of this month. Um, and we'll provide you uh, more details as well as they emerge. The other more exciting news from the state legislature is Assemblymember Friedman's AB 645, the Speed Safety Camera Pilot Program Bill, passed out of its most challenging committee 
uh, at uh, the Senate appropriations last week um, and now moves on uh, to the full Senate for a vote. It will then need to go back to the Assembly and still requires a signature from the governor, but we have never gotten this far. And so staff, you know, is not counting their chickens, um, but we are um, uh, cautiously optimistic uh, that there may be uh, good news ahead. So we will absolutely be keeping you posted um, as that moves along. A couple of other updates. Uh, we will be doing some final inspection work in the Twin Peaks Tunnel uh, September 14 to 21. So as usual with our early subway closures, we'll close the subway from Castro to West Portal um, at 9 p.m. Uh, from uh, the 14th through the, through the 21st. Um, and what the crews will be doing then is climbing up into what we call the plenum space. So the tunnel itself is a big round bore through Twin Peaks. The tunnel that you see when you're in a train has a flat ceiling and there is a space in between that flat ceiling and the outer structure um, that we're gonna send a lot of people climbing through in order to do a very detailed inspection of the conditions of this 100-year-old structure. They will then be making recommendations about what, if any, repair work is necessary, uh, and we'll be coming back to you in a number of months uh, when that is done. So during the shutdown period, um, the N and the J will not be affected, um, and there'll be shuttle buses in order to carry KL and M uh, riders uh, between Church Street and West Portal. A couple of other uh, goings on. We've had a lot of special events uh, this year um, with uh, packed events at the ballpark as well as the arena. Um, and of course, there was Outside Lands, uh, where we were so glad to have been able to strike a deal um, with another planet where your Outside Lands wristband was good as a muni pass uh, for all day. Uh, as a result of that, plus the number of people who we were able to assign, both our parking control officers, about 60, 66 uh, folks from our parking control team, uh, lots and lots of operators and inspectors, uh, they were able to move a massive number of people back and forth through that event. And despite grumblings about people having to wait a few minutes for the bus, uh, the organizers uh, were very pleased with the service that we were able to provide, um, despite the fact that we continued to suffer some staffing issues. Um, we also saw a 25% increase in Muni ridership compared to the uh, previous year's uh, numbers. And speaking of which, uh, Chair Eakin and uh, Director So and I just came from the San Francisco Transit Riders event, uh, taking transit around San Francisco and doing some speaking out of the uh, front door of uh, City Hall. Um, and so we are once again thrilled to be joining the San Francisco Transit Riders, Seamless Bay Area, um, other transit agencies, and a whole variety of community advocates in celebrating what transit really means um, in San Francisco. Uh, Director Kudiel will be hosting an event on BART uh, later this week, uh, which sounds intriguing. Um, Spur uh, and our cable car staff are hosting a tour of the cable car barn. Um, and the SFMTA is also co-hosting an event on September 22nd called Moving Pictures, Art and Transit. Um, that features a transit-themed art show right next door to Presidio Yard that is going to be rebuilt uh, next year, um, as well as a post-art show ride on the 22 Fillmore, my favorite bus line, uh, to see our recent work to improve um, 16th Street, followed by 
snacks. Um, for more information, uh, you can see, you can go to sftransitwriters.org slash transit month. Um, and finally, I want to close my report um, to honor a dear colleague that we lost last week, uh, Mike D'Elia. He's been working uh, as a mini transit operator since 2014, and he was known affectionately all over San Francisco as Mr. Boston. He moved from Boston specifically to be able to operate our historic fleet um, on the F-Line and was a model of how to take care of our customers um, as well as how to support his colleagues. Um, he had been um, struggling with cancer for many years. Um, when he was no longer able to interact with the public, the, the thing that he loved most, uh, we were able to um, create a position for him in the chief of staff's office uh, to take advantage of his amazing quality with language and love of transit in order to work um, as a public information um, officer. Mike um, completely gave his all to Muni. Um, he, in so many ways, represented the heart of what the agency is, and he will be missed terribly. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Director Tumlin. Uh, colleagues, are there questions on the very substantive director's report today? Okay. Uh, Director Tumlin, I will just say that it is thrilling, as you say, to have our speed safety camera legislation, which your staff have worked so hard on for years and years and years, finally uh, very, very close to coming to reality. So please, I'll just on behalf of this board invite you, if there's anything this board can do to help it get across the finish line and get those crucial votes, especially from the and, and the governor's support, please reach out and let us know. Um, if there's no other comments, I will open it to public comment from those in the room on the director's report. Okay, please open remote comment. At this time, we'll move to remote public comment, not to exceed a, a time of 10 minutes. Members of the public wishing to comment should dial star three to enter the queue. Each speaker will have two minutes. Moderator, first speaker. Good afternoon, my name is Jody Medeiros and I'm the Executive Director of Walk San Francisco and I just want to welcome the new board members. Thank you so much for your public service. I do want to thank you both Directors Egan and Director Tumlin for acknowledging the fourth and King fatality and uh, telling us and sharing all the actions that the city has taken. This is incredibly tragic. We should not have lost a four-year-old in our city. Walk San Francisco and many, many people who have already signed letters and sent information to you and the mayor have had very clear asks for this intersection and also additional pedestrian safety citywide. We really do need to address the forethinking intersection. Removing the double lane is a good start, but we want a separated pedestrian phase and a no turn on red. We do need to bring more slow, slowing speed solutions to all 25 plus streets in your freeway entrances this could be raised crosswalks and narrowing travel lanes. We need to signalize to drivers that they are still in neighborhood streets and they are not on the freeway and should not be going at freeway speeds. 
While San Francisco and our members are still waiting eagerly for a public detailed project plan for the 900 remaining intersections, still waiting for basic safety fixes by December 2024. <clears throat> Thank you, directors, for uh, listening today to our asks, and we do look forward to hearing from you and at the October 3rd meeting to hearing what the Vision Zero quarterly update is going to be. We hope that we have a response to our asks and a plan to get to Vision Zero by 2024. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Uh, thank you. Uh, good afternoon, uh, Chair Amanda Eakin. Uh, Alita Dupree, for the record, she and her. Always remember I'm she and her. Uh, a good, re good report today. Lots of important things. Um, I'm letting you know that I have actually signed up to use these autonomous vehicle services. Uh, I'm waiting for my invite code, and I hope to use them. And uh, rest assured that after I use them, I will relate my experience to you uh, in a public meeting. Uh, because uh, I believe this is important in helping me to have uh, not just a safe experience, uh, but a discrimination-free experience. Uh, I should not have to worry about being denied service because I'm wearing a skirt. Uh, so I ask that you can align with people like myself who are different in supporting new and innovative forms of transportation where we don't have to worry about whether we're going to be served. Uh, I hope that we can uh, get some legislative work done with, with funding our uh, system. Um, this uh, bill was paused, and hopefully we can get that uh, back on track, uh, pun intended. And um, I, I just feel that this is a good report. Uh, I was just focusing on these few things. Uh, but uh, it's good to be with you, and wherever I go, Muni is always with me. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Good afternoon, directors. Uh, this is Mark Gleason here, speaking on behalf of Teamsters Local 665 and Joint Council 7, and our allies who uh, continue to have concerns about the uh, autonomous vehicle industry as it's being presented to all of us here in the city. Uh, we appreciate the director's report on AV. But we continue to have, as so many of our fellow citizens and, and the working population, have concerns about the impact of autonomous vehicles, certainly on how they're interacting, if you will, for lack of a better way to put it, with first responders who are doing urgent and essential work out there. The impact on double parking on the jobs and on commerce that is brought into San Francisco. And additionally, the financial impact that it potentially has on public transit, which all workers rely on to get to and from to work. So again, we just remind everybody that there is great concerns out there. We appreciate those who are highlighting the concerns about autonomous vehicles, and we'll continue to watch this as it progresses. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Hi, this is Stacey Brandecker, and um, I uh, would like to um, say hi to the, direct, the new directors and well, the old ones too. And um, 
Uh, also, I am very sorry to hear of the loss. Um, Mr. Boston sounded like such an amazing person, and um, I I share in um, your sorrow. I'm sorry. Um, I I do want to say that um, I am concerned about uh, the concern over autonomous vehicles. Um, I've been look, taking a deep dive on the um, traffic fatalities that there are in San Francisco, and um, the number is is far off of what we have been reporting. And in fact, at, when we have a renewed focus on Vision Zero, I would um, request that we change to all deaths that are due to transportation, no matter where they occur, as long as they are within our city limits, they should be fair game. When you do that, <clears throat> the number is well over 400. 400 deaths since 2014, when we said we were going to tackle Vision Zero. We sweep these deaths that are on highways or the Presidio or I, I don't even know some of these reasons um, why they aren't counted as part of our Vision Zero tally when it seems like they meet all the criteria. 30 seconds. We really need a renewed, we need a renewed focus. Um, we need to do better and we need to be serious about what is causing the problem. And those high surface level highways that we maintain, they've got to go. We need to change. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Hi. Good afternoon. This is Barry Toronto. I want to welcome the two new uh, MTA directors, and I hope that you will engage with the San Francisco Taxi Workers Alliance in the near future so you can hear our perspective on what's going on in the taxi industry and how the agency has harmed our ability to make a living. Uh, I, I wanted uh, about the autonomous vehicles. It was a great presentation uh, last Thursday by Julia Freelander. Uh, however, she asked the, the pertinent question is why aren't you towing these vehicles when they're stalled in traffic and there's nobody there to, to respond right away? I think, I think you should be able to tow them immediately like you do any personal vehicle that's left in the middle of the street and, nobody, and nobody's there to move it. And, in a, in a, uh, that, to prevent further uh, hazards in the roadway and, and delay in traffic. Regarding the, um, the uh, I think two, two right turn lanes was a little too much. I think I suggest you put in a, a right turn arrow that's, that is used during the daytime from like 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. And the other times it's a, uh, either a flashing yellow or, uh, but I, I would have to say that I've always looked for pedestrians crossing uh, King Street there. And I think it's really a shame that people have gotten wild there on the streets as crazy drivers and, and don't look for pedestrians when they should be doing a better job of that. 30 seconds. So I, so I, I want to I say that, um, that, 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 is, that there is a, a, a head, uh, an advanced count for pedestrians there. And I think that, that uh, maybe an arrow uh, with, with about uh, 15 to 20 seconds uh, for drivers to turn right would be more beneficial at this time. Thank you very much. And I look forward to some other issues during public comment. Thank you. That concludes your remote callers. Okay. Close public comment on item seven. And I understand we have no 
CIC report today, so we'll go to item nine. Item nine, general public comment. Members of the public may address the SFMTA Board of Directors on matters that are within the board's jurisdiction and are not on today's calendar. I have one speaker card for Richard Becker. Is Richard Becker here? Thank you. Uh, my name is Richard Becker, and I'm speaking on behalf of the Coalition to Stop Parking Meter Hours Extension. I really have to ask, who came up with this idea? I mean, to have parking meters till 10 o'clock at night and noon to 6 on Sunday? This is, by the way, I've been involved in life in many, many campaigns. Never have I seen one that is so unanimously, uh, where there's such unanimity in opposition uh, to this idea. You know, thousands of people have signed the petition, I should say, thousands of people so far, and if people want a petition and they're not here today, they can call 415-821-6545, 821-6545, and join this campaign. Um, you know, in a city that has the most billionaires in California, repeatedly the government, including SFMTA, tries to find a way to make the poorest people, the people who have the least, pay the most. You know, when you think about mass transit, you can think about it this way, too. And that is that people who go to shop, people who go to work, people who go to medical appointments, do not profit from mass transit. It's a form of uh, existence, of survival. But on the other end, they are profiting. Without the workers, without the shoppers, no profits for big business. And yet, the city agencies from the top on down in this, in this city are afraid to take on the corporations. You know, this is a harebrained proposal, I must say. And I'd really like to know who thought this one up. I, actually, I know you did it, you tried in 2009 and it was defeated at that time too. But it should be killed. The proposal should be killed, and the SFMTA should announce that it's being killed, that it's over with. Until then, the campaign continues. Call 415-821-6545. Thank hey, you. Thank you. Next speaker, please. I do have more speaker cards. Jamie Rosers, Louis uh, Gutierrez, Scott Brown. Uh, hello, um, my name is Jamie. I'm speaking on behalf of the Communist Party of San Francisco. Um, I was born in SF. I have lived here multiple years. I'm a steward of a tenant union. I have seen firsthand when the city decides to pay for its deficits with the hard-earned money of working people. Um, this extension in metering is yet another example of this. Uh, people traveling, people travel in their cars to the city to work. People live in this city and need to park during their work. When they return home, they need to park. On top of rent, parking fees are a major addition to the cost of living in this city. And that cost has gone up steadily over the last few years, as we're all pretty much aware. Working people here work weekends, they work nights. Many are scraping by. Many use their breaks from work to repark. At home, San Franciscans mostly do not have garages due to the added expenses of one. This increase in metering hours will disproportionately affect the lowest income workers this city relies on, as well as those who use their cars for shelter. It's exploitative, it was unpopular in 2009, and it was rejected, and it will be rejected again. Thank you. 
Thank you. Next speaker, please. Good morning. Uh, I did write a thesis on this subject, but I'm going to spare you the, the citations. Uh, I've lived on 24th Street since 1977. We arrived in San Francisco in 71. Uh, we owned a bakery, La Reina Bakery, and uh, we probably had over a thousand tickets on that street. And uh, my dad would be here probably right now. My mom would be right here right now that they're not here no more, but my sisters and everybody who lived with us during this time and would testify that, that it's, it's outrageous to, I don't know what the new conditions that you guys are trying to set are. I know that uh, when I speak to people on 24th Street, uh, we disagree totally with even just the fact that there are meters, that there is no public parking on that area. And uh, we sometimes feel we're picked on in that area. And during gentrification, we call that the lost generation of people because so many people in that neighborhood were evicted and they're not returned yet. And uh, so we get a lot of people from outside of San Francisco to shop at the bakery. And it's kind of tedious to tell everybody who comes in, do you put money in your meter to those that find it? And those who don't are probably double parked in the, in the bus station, in the bus, bus, bus space, or outside. Uh, so it, it, for business-wise, it's not good. Uh, if a person comes in and gets a ticket and only buys $5 worth of bread and ends up coming out with a $100 bill for that five minutes they spend in the mission, it's not good for business in general. And as you know, businesses are struggling in San Francisco already. And with this increase in time and days, it would really make San Francisco like just a second thought as to where to go to buy bread or to buy anything for themselves or for their homes. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Good afternoon, board. Uh, Scott Brown, Upper Haight. I'm with the Coalition to Stop the Parking Meter Hours Extension, and yes, I'm here to ask you to stop the Parking Meter Hours Extension. Uh, this project places the burden of SFMTA's budget deficit entirely on the working class, who will pay, bear the, the entire cost, not just of parking meter hours, but of tickets, of boots, of towing fees, of one-time fees of over $500 in some cases. Uh, and this will disproportionately affect low-income residents, residents who don't have access to in-unit garages, residents who require their cars for storage, or even shelter, as we know many of our residents in San Francisco live in their cars. Meanwhile, uh, this is not about riders versus drivers. It's not about funding mass transit versus not funding. This is an attack on the working class, right? This, this is about privatizing profits and socializing costs. Big businesses, they have to pay their fair share and foot the bill for this deficit, right? Billion-dollar companies in and around San Francisco rely on Muni, they rely on BART, they rely on our public transit infrastructure to, to transport hundreds of thousands of their employees to and from work every day in order to make their profits, and they don't pay for it. They, they use our public transit infrastructure for their private bus shuttles, and they don't pay for it. It's time for them to pay their fair share. They can afford it in a context where City Hall is offering them $25 million in tax cuts over the next two years. They can afford it. 
we can't. Workers and residents in San Francisco cannot and will not accept more parking meter hours, more tickets, more boots, and more towing fees. We didn't accept it in 09, and we're not gonna accept it now. Board members, please revoke the proposal to extend the parking meter hours today. Thank you. Next speaker, please. One last speaker card, Tom Radulovich. Um, good afternoon, uh, directors. Tom Radulovich with Livable City. Um, I've been part of um, a lot of different conversations about transportation-related things, active communities, Plan Valencia, and so on um, over the last few years. And, and all these conversations have got me thinking a lot about um, the Better Streets Plan. And I don't know if you all are familiar with it. Um, it was adopted. Uh, it was a multi-agency, uh, multi-year effort to create a, a bunch of standards for San Francisco's pedestrian realm. So it didn't look at the whole street, really just looked at walkability. Uh, but... Um, it's good. Uh, it won lots of awards in the time, you know, and I think a lot of us who spent a lot of time working on this thought, well, this is going to make our streets better, right? Better streets plan should work, right? If we, this is a plan, we'll implement it. But um, flash forward, you know, we haven't been implementing it. Like, I, you know, I just look at the standards in here and they just get ignored over and over again. I'm like, well, why is this happening? Like, why isn't, why aren't our streets getting better? You know, why aren't we making progress on Vision Zero? Why aren't we becoming a more walkable city? Why is this always the exception? Um, there's a lot of reasons for that. I mean, one is, is you know, kind of goes back to this agency and sort of the way that you talk to communities about their street. It's never really the whole street. It's like we've come in with a solution. We're going to deal with one mode of transportation, et cetera. So to give you an example, Folsom Street, um, I worked on the Western Stoma Task Force. We tried to look at land use and then all the different uses of the street and said, all right, well, we want a, a, a two-way street with wider sidewalks. We want transit to be legible. We want it to run on Folsom in both directions. Rather than on Harrison, which is kind of a car sewer street, uh, in one direction, uh, we wanted to have wide sidewalks so it can support neighborhood commerce, be really the downtown for Western Soma. Um, and we wanted to uh, have two-way traffic to make it uh, friendlier for merchants, more of a, a local-oriented street. So uh, the attitude of this agency was, well, you know, thanks for sharing neighborhood. We're going to totally ignore everything that you said. Uh, we're going to keep it a one-way car sewer. In fact, we're going to cement that in with our bike lane proposal. So um, I'd ask you to change the way that you talk to communities about these streets. You know, really look at, you know, why aren't we um, uh, implementing this and Thank how could you. we do better? Thank you. Thanks for your comment. Next speaker, please. Hi, board members, uh, Luke Bornheimer. I want to bring your attention to um, four things today. Um, citywide, no turn on red. Uh, 30 feet of intersection daylighting citywide, uh, safer and more effective slow streets, and protected bike lanes on Arguello Boulevard. Um, first, citywide, no turn on red. As the recent preventable killings at 4th and King, 7th and Harrison, and Marin and Bayshore show, the city and this agency are not doing enough to help people shift trips away from cars to public transportation and active transportation. In the past week, nearly 500 people have joined me in calling for no turn on red citywide. Um, this is something wholly within your and the agency's authority, and I urge you to take action to approve no turn on red citywide now. Along those lines, implementing 30 feet of daylighting at every intersection in the city will increase safety for all people, including drivers, um, and is also wholly within your authority. Um, I urge you to take action to approve citywide policy for 30 feet of daylighting at every intersection in the city. Next, uh, slow streets. Um, installing traffic diverters, modal filters, and other physical infrastructure in the roadway on slow streets will make slow streets safer and more effective at helping people shift trips to active transportation. Sadly, slow streets are deteriorating as infrastructure 
is either removed or not replaced, as was the case for eight months um, with the slow page streets modal filter until I made public comment at your last meeting. It has since been replaced, which shouldn't be the case that you have to come to make public comment to have infrastructure replaced. Um, I urge you to take action to amend the slow streets program to make slow streets safer and more effective. Um, finally, Arguello Boulevard's bike lanes remain unprotected and dangerous um, as unnecessary outreach is being proposed. I urge you and staff to take action now to make Arguello safe for all people and approve a protected bike lane or at least fully separated bike lane proposal as soon as possible so that people are safe riding bikes and scooters and other forms of active transportation on Arguello. Thank you. Thank you. Any other speakers in the room today for general public comment? Okay, please open remote, Secretary Silva. At this time, we'll move to remote public comment not to exceed a total time of 10 minutes. Members of the public wishing to comment should dial star three to enter the queue. Each speaker will have two minutes. Moderator, first speaker. Hello, good afternoon. This is Barry Toronto again. I wanna say that I support these people uh, concerned about extending the meter hours. Instead of doing that, why don't you do have, have hire more staff and have better parking enforcement in the evening hours, which you do not do. It, uh, you only get people out there to actually deal with driveways because it's hard getting someone to enforce a taxi stand. You can make a lot more money if you if you start uh, tagging people for parking in taxi zones and similar type of and, and bus lanes uh, in the evening hours. But no, you don't want to do it. You don't want to do it. Um, I, I, to, to segue to a story, I, um, I, I, I picked up really nice, lovely young ladies who were at a concert Friday night at Chase Center. I picked them up about a half a mile from the Chase Center who, were, who got by accident in a black SUV that solicited them over by the Chase Center. It's getting really bad. Wait until someone gets kidnapped and gets killed before you start to do something about it. Come on, that's really bad. You don't have any taxi investigators at Chase Center events at night. Oh, at least we, they're not visible. You've got to stop the solicitation by the black SUVs. It's really bad. The poor Asian PCO is constantly battling them to get to keep them away from the taxi zones. You have to just write tickets and tickets and tickets until they learn a lesson. 30 the seconds. ball games is bad. Please, I urge you, I urge you badly to get more taxi staff to, 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 to be protecting the public from these cockroaches. I'm sorry to call them that, but what do you call somebody who's illegally soliciting fares that are not registered to do that? So I appreciate it that you take the time to do that. And outside lands, um, it was great. Your staff stayed out Thank of the taxi you. stands. Thank you. Your time is up. Next speaker. Um, thanks again, uh, Chair Amanda Eakin. Uh, Alita Dupree, for the record, she and her, um, as I speak generally, uh, Muni is very important to me. I always want the best Muni that we can have. And uh, Muni is not just about vehicles and infrastructure. So um, during my recent time on Muni, the subway has been running pretty well. And I try to practice using those long escalators in the, um, in the uh, subway, the, the, the new T-line. 
the uh, Rose Pack Station and the Union Square Station, et cetera. Um, so uh, hopefully we could put out in public just how long they are for our escalator enthusiasts out here in the world. Uh, you know, I was reading something. I think we should do this on Muni. I was reading some material from uh, New Jersey Transit. Uh, perhaps some of you have gotten a hear of it or see it. Uh, but they have a motto. I'm going to read it to you that hopefully we can do on Muni. Uh, a, a new motto of theirs is, hate has no seat on our system. So, so you have this very large transit agency in New Jersey uh, that is practicing uh, inclusion on the system statewide. I ask of you as the board to be willing to embrace this kind of idea uh, that everybody who uh, engages with Muni respectfully, you know, pays their fare and follows the rules of conduct, is seconds. going to be fully welcome on this system. So I don't worry about it when I am on New Jersey Transit because they have a policy. I shouldn't have to worry about it on Muni. And yes, senior staff has fully welcomed me into Muni, and I ask that you as the board do the same. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Hi, it's Stacey Randecker again. Um, I wanted to, man, this is such a juicy public comment today. Um, I, I wanted to talk about the protected, connected network without breaks that um, uh, Director Yakutiel has requested as an add-on at the December 6, 2023 meeting. Um, he asked that it be delivered, the plan for it, um, by the end of first quarter and that was not done and it's long overdue and asking everyone how they feel about it isn't um, helping anyone feel safer on the streets. It's just um, perpetuating car supremacy. Um, and along those car uh, supremacist lines, um, the parking meters rates aren't high enough. They aren't long enough. There should be a residential parking permit program on the entire city and the rate for it should be set at what an annual uni pass costs. Um, that would still be a steal over the price of a private garage. Um, we need to make our uni service absolutely world-class and that is trains on time, trains running often, getting people where they need to go so there doesn't need to be so much driving and parking that is hurting people and the environment. Um, and um, for events, oh, just can you quadruple Muni to the events and not have any cars or parking or taxis at the event? I just was um, thinking about people jockeying for cars and whatever when they should be walking, biking on the bus, on the train, um, getting them away from that area. Uh, it's, um, it seems like a no-brainer. Anyway. Thank you, and good luck with all of this. There's a lot. Thank you. Next speaker. Hi, my name is Sonika Mahajan. I'm a current resident of District 5 and a lifelong resident of the Bay Area. And I'm here again in solidarity with hundreds of San Franciscans and Bay Area residents who've already demanded that the city stop this undemocratic parking meter extension. Um, working people, I don't know if you all know this, working people need to use their cars to get into work, which is not a choice, and to get around the city. 
Um, BART and Caltrain continue to be unaffordable and inaccessible for many. Many people also have to use their cars for storage or shelter as the housing market continues to shut them out and to deprioritize affordable housing. So if, if you really want to curb traffic, reduce emissions, or raise your revenue, why not turn your focus to big business? As we've talked about, driverless cruise cars are littered around the city, despite dozens of reports of those vehicles interfering with emergency vehicles and traffic flow. Similarly, Google, Facebook, and others use shuttles um, on public bus stops around the city without any additional fees. So why should our working class be bearing the burden of funding public transportation instead of these corporations? And in fact, why not fully fund and comprehensively build out Muni and BART? A truly accessible and complete public transportation system would alleviate car traffic and emissions and the need for cars in the street. Taxing working people for needing cars will not do this because until there's a truly viable alternative, working people will have to drive. San Francisco tried to extend parking meter hours before in 2009, and we fought it until it was dropped. And we will be out here and in the streets again every day if necessary to fight the extension. So we ask you to please commit to dropping the extension today. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Speaker, you've been unmuted. Moderator, let's go to the next speaker and come back to this one. Uh, hello, uh, my name is Jonathan. I'm a Teamster in Local 315. Um, I'm calling to oppose the plan to extend the parking meter extension. Um, I oppose this plan because uh, the working people of San Francisco need to use their cars to go to work and um, to go to work around the city. And, and, but BART and Muni remains um, inaccessible to uh, many working people within San Francisco and unaffordable. Um, many workers use their cars as shelter in San Francisco since the housing market remains uh, inaccessible to them. Um, I just really oppose this parking meter extension because I see that it's, it's the way to tax the working people, uh, especially those that are incredibly vulnerable within our city. Um, I encourage you board members to please uh, uh, not follow through with the parking meter extension uh, and instead uh, uh, pursue revenue from large tech companies uh, in our city. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Speaker, you've been unmuted. All right, Chair Eakin, it does appear that the speaker is not able to, oh, took themselves out of the queue. Um, that concludes your public comment. Thank you. We'll close item nine and please uh, read item 10. Directors, that places you on item 10, your consent calendar. These items are considered to be routine and will be acted upon by a single vote unless a member of the board or public wishes to consider an item separately. For all speakers providing public comment, please identify which item number you are speaking to. Item 10.1, requesting the controller to allot funds and to draw warrants to get such funds available or will be available in payment of the listed claims against the SFMTA. Those are listed in the agenda as items A through D. Item 10.2, approving various routine parking and traffic modifications and making environmental review findings um, for the items listed as A through H in the agenda. Item 10.3, appointing SFMTA Chief Strategy Officer Jonathan Ruers as an alternate director to serve on the Transbay Joint Powers Authority Board of Directors, effective September 6, 2023. 
in item 10.4, amending the existing SFMTA contract approval delegation and requirements policy to delegate to the Director of Transportation authority to approve and execute grant agreements where the SFMTA as grant recipient provides unilateral indemnity to granting public agencies within certain limits. That concludes the consent calendar. Okay, thank you. Uh, directors, are, are there any comments or questions on the consent? I'm seeing Director Henze raising her hand. Director Henze, please go ahead. Virtual hand, yes. <laughs> thank you, Madam Chair. I just wanted to speak <clears throat> briefly in support of 10.2F for the parklet uh, for the Golden Gate Greenway project. As, as most of you know, this is a a request of the Tenderloin community. Really, the entire Golden Gate Greenway project is, but this particular portion is a part of the, the Tenderloin Community Action Plan that's trying to uh, really uh, revitalize that stretch of Golden Gate Avenue for community activations. And I know that staff is working hard to uh, try to get funding so we can do the phase two of the project, which would be complete closure of the block and, and staff knows that I'm a big supporter of this project. So just thanking everybody for their work on it from our staff and as well as acknowledging the planning department that's working on the community action plan uh, for the community. Thank you, Madam Chair. That's it. Thank you, Director Henze. It's very helpful to have your perspective on that. Uh, Director Heminger. Thank you, uh, Madam Chair. Uh, I did have a couple of questions about uh, item 10.4, um, and this one's a little dry, colleagues, so just bear with me for a couple minutes. Um, you know, I, I've given plenty of speeches uh, over the last couple of years. Uh, Jeff, I suspect you may give the same speech, that um, when people complain about how long it takes to build public projects, uh, what I often tell them is you've got to be willing to withstand a little more risk in delivering those projects or it's going to go slow because we're going to check every box and pass every base. I see you acknowledging. Um, so my understanding of this item is that this is a small little attempt to do just that. Um, and my question is uh, that it would... The, the current procedure is that if a grant agreement comes to us that has a mutual indemnification provision, in other words, we hold somebody else harmless and they do the same for us, um, that doesn't need to come to the board. Um, but one where we're unilaterally offering indemnification to somebody else and we're really not getting anything back from them to cover us, uh, up to now, that has not been an, an item that had to come to the board, and you're saying you want to change that, correct? Uh, thank you, Director Heminger, uh, Deputy City Attorney Susan Cleveland Knowles. It's correct that a mutual indemnification does not come to the board up until now if. Um, we are indemnifying the grantor, the granting party that has been coming before you as a board. 
those individual grants have been coming to you on your consent calendar. Right. It's usually, it's not every Caltrans grant, but there have been cases. And so this item that's before you today would say if it's a grant with another public agency only, and they are requiring indemnification, you authorize the director to agree to that. So you do not need to see those grants. But they're, they're requiring that we offer them indemnification but are not willing to offer it to us. Is that right? That's correct. And can you give us a flavor of the sorts of things we're indemnifying them for? I mean, these are grants to do things, right? Uh, like if you're doing a planning study, they're, they're indemnifying us against paper cuts. I mean... Uh, this could also be grants for, you know, actually delivering services or projects in the street that because we're the ones delivering it, we would take all the liability and, Susan, correct me if I'm wrong, like this is protecting them from a mistake that we would have made that we would be individually Well, and for. presuming that the board, us, uh, is paying attention uh, to uh, a unilateral indemnification coming to us, we're under the theory, I guess, we're the check and balance for that, right? Because yeah, we mean, would have to approve it, and that's right. somebody needs ultimately to say yes or no, this is too risky, uh, or it isn't, right? Right. I mean, in many ways, the city attorney's office serves as that check and balance to make sure that the agency is not taking excessive risk. Well, but then, they're making a recommendation. Right. If something goes wrong, the city attorney's not going to pay for it. The MTA is going to pay for it, right? That's correct. I think normally the way that it would work is that our office, staff at the SFMTA, and the city's risk manager evaluate the situation and together come up with a conclusion. In the past, the final check has been this board. Right. But you say typically these, these grants appear on our consent agenda where we're not spending a whole lot of time digging into each one, right? That's correct, because it's usually just the right. payment of money from right. a funding agency that is probably not willing to accept, you know, to accept much risk. Right. So this is a limited, I mean, the approval item in front of you today is limited to just grants and just from public agencies. Well, we do a lot of work with public agencies. That, that doesn't limit it to only a handful, right? I mean, I don't recall seeing a lot of these that have come before you in the past. We did check that they have been coming to you individually, but we didn't find a lot of them. I think it is not always the policy of many of these agencies to request uh, unilateral indemnification. Right. So in many cases, that's not what they're asking for, and that's not part of the agreement. Okay. So it sounds like this is a modest change for maybe modest benefit. The, uh, the benefit here is it expands the opportunity for receiving quick grants for quick things. Uh, the process of getting on the consent calendar takes about three months. So we're, we, have, we have an opportunity 
for some quick action and something that we've been offered in the past but have not been able to take advantage of because of the time that it takes? Well, so to the extent that it's a workaround, I mean, something you just said, Jeff, you've said it, I think, quite a few times before, that we, we have this lengthy process to get items to our board. And once they get here, they're on consent and lickety-split, they're out the chute at the next meeting. Is there anything we can do just frontally to go after that three months and make it faster? I mean, everything from the public noticing requirements to the format that materials need to be prepared for, you know, in, is it's time consuming by design. Because part of the function of this body, as you know, is the public deliberation as well. Well, and that's the point that I wanted to make at the last and maybe make a suggestion. I mean, before I do, I, I, I do think it would be worth your while, it'd be worth our while uh, to really understand better why it does take three months to move something through, uh, especially something that's destined for the consent calendar. Um, the other point I wanted to make, and you made it for me, is that another reason that things appear on our agenda is disclosure. It's telling the public, here's what we're doing. Here's your chance to say something about it. And it seems to me if these items are going to disappear from our agenda, it would be helpful for you to report to us, maybe on a quarterly basis, what you did, right? So we still have that disclosure. And we could put that, if possible, on the agenda of the board so that everybody has a chance to see you know, every quarter, th this is how many of these we've done, and this is what they were, and so they have a sense of what we're up to um, at the end of the day. Yes, I think transparency around both our budget, but especially our spending, is important to building trust. Well, Madam Chair, I, I appreciate it. I don't know whether it needs to be done formally in the motion or otherwise, but uh, as long as we preserve this idea of some kind of reporting system so that these projects don't entirely drop off our radar screen but can be tracked uh, by members of the public who are, <laughs> I would say, diligent enough to do so. Could I just seek some clarification? So your larger delegation policy, which this is amending, already requires a lot of the items that are delegated to the director to be reported to you in a memo format, either monthly or quarterly. Um, it sounds like you are asking that this have a slightly higher level of transparency. Well, look, if, if, and I just wanted to ask. If that's out there, I, maybe I just don't recall receiving them. Did uh, we get that memo? Where did we get that memo? I don't know if you receive it. It's in the delegate. The requirement is in the delegation policy. Well, if it's in um, the policy, it must be happening, right? <laughs> I can't speak to that. But I in mean, any look, case, that's how things become three months, right? Because you keep adding and adding and adding. So if there's something out there that should work, but we're just not doing it, let's do that. Agreed. That's fine. Okay. So Thank you, Madam Chair. Director So, I see you. I just want to comment on that briefly before we move on, um, that I agree. And in fact, Director Tumlin and Secretary Silva and Vice Chair Kahina and I have been discussing what the format of the staff reports are, what is the process to get something on an agenda, wanting to attack any sort of inefficiency or bureaucracy we find so we can deliver projects more quickly. So this is very much aligned, very much welcome. 
I might also just say on this specific aspect, if we're talking about a grant that's enabling you to do something that this board has already given you direction to do, I feel that's a little bit more in staff's jurisdiction to execute the particular paperwork of the particular grant and that the board's direction maybe deserves to come at a higher level. So I, I don't know, if we are already meant to be receiving reports, I don't recall seeing those reports either. I'd be happy to see those, um, but this is, just personally, this is an area where I feel a little bit more comfortable delegating staff to execute and implement the strategic direction we've already given you. Uh, Director So, please. Um, thank you for um, bringing some of these into layman's term for everyone to understand. Um, thank you, Steve. I have uh, one question that is um, pretty illuminating. When we um, identify the party that gave us the grant, but uh, we do not require them to reciprocate. Uh, what is what is the order of magnitude here with this grant money? What kind of, like in terms of dollar figures, and also potentially what is the potential litigation risk that we're talking about if this, should ever anyone needs to exercise this situation that we end up getting sued? Susan, do you want to take this to start? I mean, I can, t I can speak to the types of grants, but in terms of yeah, the identification I, issue. Sure. Um, the director will talk to the types of grants that might normally come in front of you. Um, in terms of the litigation risk, I think it is very unlikely that we would turn to a funding source, um, you know, and seek to bring them into a lawsuit. Uh, for many of the types of projects that you might be receiving funds for. So, for example, uh, if you receive funds for a quick build or for a streets project and someone is injured mm -hmm. uh, in that project, it's very unlikely we would seek to bring in Caltrans if they had given us money for the grant. Maybe a, a rare case, but I don't see that as a typical uh, action that our office has taken in the past. Okay. So for uh, types of projects can range from, you know, actual capital construction projects to a special event to, uh, you know, partnering with a community-based organization. Um, to Deputy City Attorney Susan Cleveland Knowles' point, we don't sue our funders um, for any of these projects, we're responsible for them. <laughs> like, we're, we're responsible for the design, we're responsible for the implementation. Um, we would be the liable party regardless of any indemnification document um, that is signed. Okay. Um, and, you know, really what this is about is being able to receive funding from state and regional sources uh, in order to be able to actually move quickly, particularly around uh, time-limited events. Okay, so we will pay for everything ourselves. Yeah, okay, we're stuck. We're we stuck with to. the bill, regardless okay. of whether. The, yeah. Thank you to clarify. Seeing no other questions from my colleagues, I'll go ahead and open it up to public comment on the consent calendar, please, for anyone in the room. Okay, please open a remote. At this time, we'll move to remote public comment, not to exceed a total time of 10 minutes. Members of the public wishing to comment should dial star three to enter the queue. Each speaker will have two minutes. No speakers. Okay, we'll close public comment. Uh, Dr. Hemminger, do you want to make a motion on this one? I would, I, I'd move the 
the consent calendar with the addition of uh, direction to staff to uh, uh, carry out the delegation uh, reporting requirements that have already been approved. <laughs> Is there a second? <laughs> Madam Chair, or perhaps Madam City Attorney, do we would we need to sever 10.4 to do, do that or? Because I'm happy to second the motion, but. Um, Thank I you, Di Director Hinsey. I think, I think the amendment is understood and fine with the consent. Right. All right. Then <laughs> second. Are you, are you seconding, Director Hensey? Yes. Thank you. Okay, please call the roll. On the motion, Director Heminger. Aye. Heminger, aye. Director Henderson. Aye. Henderson, aye. Director Hinsey. Aye. Hinsey, aye. Director So. Aye. So, aye. Director Kukutiel. Yukutiel, aye. Director Kahina. Aye. Kahina, aye. Chair Eakin. Aye. Eakin, aye. Thank you. The consent calendar is approved. Thank you. Please call item 11. Places you on item number 11. Presentation and discussion regarding a next generation Clipper program update. Great. Uh, good afternoon, members of the board. Diana Hammonds, uh, Senior Revenue Manager for the MTA. Um, and also the liaison to the Clipper program for the agency. I do just want to take a moment to introduce um, my colleague Jason Weinstein, who is the Assistant Director of Electronic Payments from the Metropolitan Transportation Commission. He's not feeling well today, but was able to join by phone, so I wanted to just turn it over for him to give a few uh, comments. I Thanks, Diana. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, thank you. Thank you, uh, board members. As Diana mentioned, I'm Jason Weinstein. I'm the program manager for the Clipper program at the Metropolitan Transportation Commission. I'm pleased to be here to support SFMTA staff today as they update you on Clipper. And as Diana mentioned, I'm feeling a bit under the weather, so I appreciate being able to participate this way. I'm proud of the collaboration between MTC and the transit operators on the Clipper program, and specifically as we drive towards the launch of the next generation Clipper system, and I'll be here with Diana to answer questions after. Great. All right. So, um, once uh, you know, thank you for giving me an opportunity to update you on the next generation Clipper system and where we are with that. You know, it feels like it's been a very long time that we've been talking about the things that are coming, um, but I'm really happy to be here to talk about um, what that schedule looks like. So the program itself um, is more than 20 years old. A lot of the equipment out there um, no longer manufactured, can't order spare parts, but we are in the pro process um, starting in 2018 of replacing that system with um, a new um, next generation Clipper system as we've been calling it. You might have seen some of this out on the streets already. We have uh, most of our vehicles have been equipped with um, new onboard validators. Um, and also the introduction of the Clipper virtual card, um, which was something new. But just to start, sort of set the stage, I want to talk a little bit about where we are now with the Clipper program. Um, we have 22 transit agency partners on board, um, working with mobile phone or mobile payment providers, um, this program really is sort of the best example, I believe, in the region of fair coordination and or coordination in general between transit agencies. The level 
of involvement and collaboration between MTC and the transit agencies is really um, off the charts. And I can also say, having worked on the program for more than 15 years, we've come a long way. <laughs> um, so, just talking a little bit about where what the Clipper um, system is is managing these days. We have about four million active accounts. Processes about twenty four million dollars um, every month, with ten million use, use uses on it, um, and that twenty four million represents close to half of all the fare revenue that's collected in the region. And just a little um, image on the Clipper virtual card, which was introduced about. I've lost track of time, <laughs> but it, about a year and a half ago, uh, almost two years, um, you'll see the, the pickup on this. We had to update the slide even at the last minute because the usage just keeps going up and up, and it represents about 25% of all trips taken on Clipper um, right now. And then talking a little bit about what Clipper on Muni looks like, uh, we have about 3.6 million trips taken per month um, and in FY23. Uh, $52 million of our revenue was collected on Clipper. And you'll see by the chart, it represents 62% of all the revenue, uh, fair revenue that we bring in. And now to the um, more exciting part, talking about what's coming with the, the new Clipper system. I think everyone can agree the Clipper system has been great. It's provided um, you know, a, a more seamless travel experience, being able to transfer between uh, operator to operator. There's discounts that can be provided, um, but the equipment is more than 20 years old. Um, I like to always give the comparison. It's like we're operating with a cell phone that's 20 years old, if that kind of gives you an idea of what kind of, where the technology is with that. Um, so MTC and trans agency staff have been working very closely over the last five years and with the goal in mind to deliver a more flexible and customer-focused technology. And then a couple of things for, the, for I know, the SFMTA that we really care about. Um, the current system limitations to be able to add new products, short-term fares is timely, or I'm sorry, is um, takes a significant amount of time and a significant amount of money. So we've been stuck in some places where things like our Lifeline Pass has never been incorporated into Clipper. Um, we have a very popular one-day Muni-only pass that, that you all approved about four or five years ago that we could not incorporate into Clipper either. Um, in addition, uh, the Clipper system cannot do time or day-based fares. Um, which can really provide some great flexibility for special events, promotions. Um, you know, even our, our tagline is for um, late night transfers, which was approved by this board again um, a few years ago, where it's um, free transfers after midnight. We tell customers don't tag because <laughs> we can't turn the system off and we can't actually program it to be a zero-based fare at that time. Um, in addition, our customers have talked about the long wait times that it can take if you load value online. Um, I don't want to get into the, the technical, maybe I'll, I'll refer to Director Hemminger to, to speak to this, but um, it can take up to five days. The vehicles have to download in a wireless system every product and transaction that occurred. It needs to find that card, and um, it, it's really, unacceptable and, and has limited our ability to move customers over to the Clipper system. 
Um, but the good news is, is the next system is going to address um, all of these issues. And also, as we've seen already with things like the virtual card, your value is loaded instantaneously, which is a huge improvement. And uh, something that I hear at this board quite often, why can't I use my credit card? <laughs> um, initially, when the contract was signed, the functionality for what we call open payment, it's where you tag your card. Um, it doesn't have to be registered. You just get, it's like you're tacking a, tapping a clipper card, was um, assigned to a phase two. So we would transition the system, new back office, and then we would look at open payment. But as we heard more and more of a chorus from people um, who travel to New York and travel overseas, like, why can't we do this? So through negotiations with Cubic, the vendor for the system, that was moved up, contract, um, uh, contract amendment was done, and so that open payment option will be available at the beginning of transition. Um, but I do just one uh, caution on that, although um, adults, it, it, again, the, in this scenario, the card is unregistered, so the system doesn't know who's using it. So therefore, it really will only be available for adult full fares, um, because you would have to then, there would have to be a process for registering a credit card to show that you're a senior or a person with disabilities to receive those discounts. It's not that that won't be done, it just won't be done in the first phase. And then I know something that is incredibly important to San Francisco, um, to you all as well, is the limited availability of vendors for people who um, want to load cash value onto their cards. Um, it already was, uh, the retail network was not great in San Francisco, but with the closures of Walgreens, which was the primary Clipper retail network vendor, um, it has um, been slashed even further, less than 50% of what we had. Um, and we have done work over the years, um, reaching out to businesses, going to merchants associations meetings to try to bring more people on board. Um, however, again, going back to the equipment in the system, it's clunky. It's almost like a, a little um, old desktop computer. Um, also, it requires a dedicated phone line <laughs> to, um, to process the transactions, a cost that the vendor has to take on. Um, and that equipment is also obsolete. So um, in the new program, and already we're starting to see a lot of this rolled out, it, it's a nice little graphic representation. It's a very small footprint um, connected through wireless. Um, so that barrier that we heard from a lot of retailers will be gone. But in addition, the contract requires um, an expansion, 25% expansion of retail network across the Bay Area. So moving from 300 to 400. And there's a commitment, um, both the operators MTC to establish a working group to really drill down and work with the people who know the communities so that we can advise Cubic where these retail networks should be. And I know from, from our perspective, we certainly will be doing outreach to community groups and the mayor's office and organizations um, so they can really tell us where, it, where is it that this is needed. Um, I think you could, if you saw the map of where the vendors were before there were a lot of closures, it, it was just this convenient sort of Market Street corridor <laughs> where so many of the retailers were on that into the mission, some of the outer areas, but it really didn't address any of the folks who didn't live or work along those lines. So there's a lot of improvements um, to that. And, and again, a commitment and a partnership and an understanding that we have failed 
in providing access to our customers through the current program because of this issue. There's also going to be a new um, mobile app um, where customers uh, can load value. Um, this is different. It gets a little confusing. Different from the virtual card. So a Clipper mobile app for people who still want to use the Clipper card can be tied to the virtual card. You can see your travel costs, do planning, um, instantly fund your Clipper card or virtual card. Um, and also, um, just significant improvement in it is it will allow you um, to purchase group passes. So we know that for a lot of visitors that the Clippers pro, or the Clipper system doesn't really uh, accommodate them because they, they're traveling with four or five people. You have to buy a $3 plastic Clipper card. You're just going to use it once. Um, so this is also going to be a big improvement um, going forward where um, you can buy you know, four cable card tickets and, and show it similar to what our Muni mobile app does right now. And most importantly, project delivery. <laughs> um, so this is kind of the, the big pieces of where the, the project schedule is right now. Um, you can see by that line, we, we've gone really far with the implementation of the new equipment. Um, there's 3,500 buses in the Bay Area that have to be retrofitted with new onboard readers. 40% of that is done. Um, the system testing, which I can tell you includes thousands and thousands of document review, um, and it really is such a testament to the collaboration on this. We have meetings sometimes where there's 50, 60, 70 people from different transit agencies on the phone, um, which has actually been one of the, the benefits. Meetings used to be held in person. It was very hard for people who were the ones that were on the phone to participate, but now going to an all-virtual um, there's just the amount of involvement and uh, participation is really skyrocketed. Um, so as that is going on, we'll be starting the transition pilot test um, towards, uh, you can see this, towards the end of this year, um, which will be actually having customers, um, or not customers, but you know, select groups test out the different functionality in, in sort of a real world um, uh, experience. And then the next that comes beginning in a summer of next year will actually be the customer transition. And what this involves is un unseen to the customer, every Clipper card will be, using the easy term to use, is flipped. It, it moves from this card-based world to the account-based world that we're moving into, and you can't do that overnight. Um, so there will be some period of time estimated uh, in fall where that transition has to occur. Um, so I, I know that, and, and I'll defer to Jason to maybe give it, but, but fall <laughs> is what we're using um, as a um, estimate right now. Um, as we get closer, um, you know, there's a number of other contracts. We have a customer service um, vendor, card, um, card supplier, so a lot of contracts that have to come together under this, um, but the project team feels very confident right now in, in a fall 2024 launch. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, at the beginning of that customer transition, open payment will be available. Um, new products that we have lined up, like our lifeline passes um, and other, um, like say our day pass, we will have some discussions, but it likely should, we would not recommend that until all customers were transitioned because it really wouldn't be fair for some people to have access to, um, to some things before the others. Um, but the, um, I know the open payment, I, I was 
we got double, triple checked on that, beginning of transition, so we won't have to wait for that. Um, so that is all that I have for my presentation. Um, myself or Jason Weinstein, who is much more versed in the technical nature of this, um, be happy to answer any questions. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Director Yacoutiel, please. Thank you so much. <clears throat> um, so when you, a couple kind of logistical questions to start. Uh, when you talk about people's accounts needing to be transferred, will folks have to like do any sign up or actually do anything, or will it just happen automatically? There will be the need to download a new app. Um, a, a separate standalone app? Um, Jason, can I ask to phone sure. a friend here? Yeah, so, <laughs> so two things. People who have existing uh, plastic clipper cards, they won't have to do anything. They can use their existing cards in the new system. We'll have new cards that will be coming out for C2, but people who have existing cards won't have to do anything. As it relates to what Diana mentioned with regard to the app, there'll be an account-based app uh, that you'll need to download, just like you kind of do today when, I don't know, every, it seems like every 10 minutes I'm updating my whatever, bank app, airline app, whatever, you know, every couple months. So uh, this will just, at the time of transition, you'll, you'll download a new um, account-based app and then you'll be good to go. You log in and you're, you're, you're set. Well, what about for folks who have Clipper on their Apple wallet or mobile, which it sounds like that's Does, been the largest growth area for us in the last six months. Will they need to do anything? No, it'll be very similar to the, they'll be flipped as well. Uh, much I like hate it when you, oh, I hate when I can see myself on the screen and I'm like, oh, goodness <laughs> gracious. I just caught myself. <laughs> Oi. Well, well, they'll be flipped in a, in a similar nature to the plastic cards. So you won't have to make any, uh, as, a, as a customer, you won't have to make any specific action. Okay. Um, Diane, you said the beginning of the transition is when open payments would happen. So does that mean that, that the beginning of next summer is when folks would be able to start paying with a credit card instead of the Clipper card? Based on the current schedule, yes. Do you have any reason to believe that it might get delayed? Has, has Cubix been good at keeping to their timeline before this? Uh, I will say from the agency perspective, um, we have had some challenges, um, and uh, but there have been some changes and some work FTC has done with Cubic recently um, to try to make up some of that time. But I, Jason, if you could provide maybe a little more sure, detail. Sure, I can, yeah, I can chime in there. I think it's not, remember, um, as Dinah alluded to, it's not just, so the existing Clipper system is completely uh, managed by Cubic. It just so happens, excuse me, that uh, the next generation system, our system integrator, so the back office and all the equipment is provided by Cubic, but we have a number of other vendors like uh, the customer service center, which is, uh, which is gonna be um, supported by WSP. We have a number of fair media contracts, uh, and also if, since we are now the merchant of record, we have a payment services contract as well. All of these things, along with a number of other uh, projects, projects that are going on. We have sort of these multiple critical paths that we need to land all together. Now, Cubic is a big part of that, but there are a number of others that we need to make sure are on track as well, too. So, uh, but to, to go back to the original point, at this point, uh, we still feel comfortable with the start of customer transition in the summer of 2024. 
we'll have better knowledge once we do some of our internal testing this fall. And then as Diana mentioned, there'll be a, what we call a customer transition pilot that will happen early next year. Okay, well, I look forward to hearing from my colleague, Director Heminger, on his thoughts on that question, um, given his work on this for so long. Um, what are our costs associated with the Clipper program? How much are we paying Cubic? How much is it costing? It sounds like we're making $24 million a month. Mm -hmm. What is our monthly cost to run Clipper? Like if we didn't have a Clipper card, like how much money would we be saving? Um, I, I, so I will say right now it's about $7 million a year. Um, is the payment, but that also includes some things like support for the back office system for our ticket vending machine, so not specific to Clipper. Um, but I would caution it's not really saving that money because if we moved back to cash, um, then we'd have to triple, quadruple the number of people. It's right. Much, I don't know. think anyone's proposing yeah. to move back to cash. Mm -hmm. I think what, you're, what I'm getting at is if we saw in the last six months two million people mm -hmm. sign up for... Uh, credit card clipper, mm -hmm. and if you look at that chart, that number was like zero before, mm -hmm. and that's, I would call that meteoric rise in mm -hmm. usage. I myself am one of those people. I think I lost like 10 clipper cards, <laughs> and now I never have to worry about it. Um, like, that's only going to continue. Like, mm -hmm. there are going to be people who can't use credit card, but there's just going to, I mean, in a year or two, mm -hmm. once after this starts, it's going to be like 99% of people are, who are using clipper are probably going to be using it on their phones, because mm -hmm. that's just the world we live in. And after that, like, should we be paying $7 million a year if really it's just like another option to pay for a muni ticket on your phone? I guess is what I'm getting at. Well, all of the virtual card is still part of the Clipper office backend system that manages all of the, the fair rules and how the long you get a transfer and what the discount is between Caltrain and muni. So that the virtual card versus the Clipper card really does, the support is still there. Um, so the... And also one thing I would add is um, the credit card transaction fees. Um, I know that we all have been, I, I mean, it's, it's with anything, right? I mean, the, what um, any large volume, um, you know, revenue, the percentage of, of credit card fees can be pretty extensive but as well. But are we paying those fees? Or? Yes. So it's going to be an extra 3% cut from what we're making right now? or It's all part of the formula. So the transit operators actually have, um, you know, again, it, um, amazing collaboration within a few months where there's a cost allocation formula and there's a couple of buckets. So some of it is by rider usage, right? So BART and Muni, um, the highest usage of Clipper in the Bay Area. But on the other side of that, there's also costs attributed to revenue. So the credit card transaction fees. We have very low fares, Caltrain, Golden Gate, BART. So we don't pay as high of a percentage because it's based on revenue taken in. I see, but I guess the point still stands. Mm -hmm. If at some point in the future we see that most people are actually just paying with their credit card, and, mm -hmm. and I would be interested in seeing what's happening in New York, like mm -hmm. how many people now are just tapping in New York to get onto mm -hmm. a, the subway, mm -hmm. like it does make me wonder, like, why do we need to pay $7 million a year for a vendor to help us do this? Well, another piece of that is the equipment maintenance. So all of the onboard readers, um, the standalone. Do they own the hardware, though? Or? No. Excuse me? Do they own that hardware? It was purchased by the region, um, but in terms of upkeep and um, 
you know, warranty and all of that. Jason, I don't know if you want to add anything to this as well. So yes, the region owns the equipment, but uh, we still have to operate and maintain it, which we pay a fee to do. I, we don't, you know, have the resources to go maintain 10,000 pieces of equipment. Do we pay so, for that on top of the $7 million contract? Okay, well, how, do we know how many hours well, a year they're spending well, repairing? Well, let me, let's, let's take a step back. I don't know what the $7 million figure is about. Is that is that the O&M, uh, Diana, for, for SFMTA annually? It's the total Clipper costs. So it includes uh, ticket vending machines and things that are not I part see. of the Clipper program. Understood. That means specifically okay. that the rest of the region wouldn't be paying. Well, so for example, right. since you said, and I understand where you're going with this line of yeah, questioning. Yeah, I'm, I'm being very clear, I think. I, I understand, but since you said, for example, you're talking about the credit card base, and some may find that easier, you said that's sort of de-identified, you can't connect that to a person. Mm -hmm. So if a person wanted to load, for example, their pre-tax transit benefit mm -hmm. onto a card and use that, you would need the clipper. That yeah. would be like one case, one case for keeping this existing system. Yeah, it's clear that there, and it, and you also couldn't do like a monthly pass on your credit card, right? And it's like there's other, mm -hmm. there's other use Lifeline cases. Lifeline or any of those things mm -hmm. you talked about would not work with just a credit card mm -hmm. solution. So there's sort of several use cases for preserving some I, sort of system. Yeah, I hear that. I just wonder if like, when does this contract expire? 20. So we have, uh, uh, once we launch, there's an initial 10-year O&M period. 10 years? And then there's a couple of options. Yes. Then there's some options after that. But, but I, I do want to, I, I think, um, whether, maybe I wasn't clear, whether you use your credit card, open payment, or use a Clipper card, there's all of this m support and maintenance of a system in the back end that tells, tells them what to do with that. I, I hear that. Yeah. And I'm not, I, I'm not mm -hmm. a transit card professional. <laughs> um, there are people here who have more expertise in this than I do. Mm -hmm. What I don't want to have is we're paying a premium for a service that over the, over the course of that contract, it becomes less and less necessary because mm -hmm. most people aren't actually using either the hardware or the actual card itself, mm -hmm. right? Clearly, there are going to be some edge cases Maybe like you want to do a let's say it turn because we've already gotten to a point where fewer and fewer people are buying day passes and monthly passes. I think we've seen since the pandemic, right? And so, what if it turns out that eighty percent of our users are just tagging in for the the trip that they do once a week or twice a week? I want to make sure that we're not paying the same amount of money for that use case as we are when a majority of users are actually using the Clipper technology. And so, I guess that's the question here: is like. Are we thinking about five years from now, three years from now? Because clearly mobile tapping in is the future. Do you want me to Can take I this? Can I respond to that, Diana? I'm also happy to speak to this. That, so, that'll be it for me. So <laughs> because we're a transit agency, we are trying to serve multiple objectives. One is to make it really simple for an affluent adult to just grab their credit card and tap and go and not care. But we also have other audiences to serve, including the unbanked, including people who uh, are owed discounts based upon age or ability or income. And so what this technology offers is two paths. One that is open loop, where it's like Starbucks, and you can use whatever, uh, you know, whatever payment you have in your wallet, your phone, your credit card, your debit card, whatever, you tap and you go, and you're on the bus. But the other is also account-based, where if you're interested in signing up, um, that you can automatically get your discount based upon qualifying characteristics, 
or get a, a discount, for example, uh, if we do fare capping by the day or by the month. So in order to do that, we need to know who you are. Yeah, I mean, the unbanked, though, are not using Clipper cards, right? Because they're using cash. No, the unbanked are mm-hmm. absolutely like, like you know, or one, of the, using one of the things to that, buy a Clipper card. No, one of the things that you get when you're enrolled in social services in San Francisco is your transit pass. Well, couldn't we give people like a token or something like a or a card to use that we're not paying? What I'm, I guess what I'm saying is I want to make sure that we are not paying more than we need to for this technology. So, so again, the, the reader itself is a significant investment for a little you know, piece of plastic to be able to take all of those forms of payment and not care whether you have an account or you don't. That is a significant investment. Yeah, but we own that, right? We own these things, or the regional, or MTC owns it, and so really all we're asking them to do is maintenance it if it breaks once in a while, right? So so the back end of all of this, I mean, Mm -hmm. again, it's as if we were Starbucks. So if you're a retailer doing a gazillion small transactions, the back end for all of that processing is actually quite expensive. Like, there's, there's a lot of stuff there. And that is one yeah. of the reasons why retailers end up paying a lot to professional, you know, these professional services companies in order to allow that to happen, because it needs to be fast and immediate. Okay, so I don't, I don't deny that it's expensive to run this system. All I'm asking my colleagues to consider as we think about this and as we think about the future of Clipper is, if we are going to see, like, lots of new users basically just use their credit card to use our system, which is what's going to happen, why would we pay the same amount of money to maintain that system? Because regardless of the number of users, the fact that that account-based system exists requires a massive investment. And so we, we want to make sure that we continue to be have a mechanism that's all one thing. Like, I don't want a system where the account-based people have to tag that machine and the credit card people tag this machine. We need one machine that can process all of these types of payments. And I'm just going to maybe speak for you and interpret that you share Director Yacoutiel's yes. desire not to pay more for services than we absolutely need and to be vigilant as you go to renew those contracts over the years to look yep. for if there's any other ways to consolidate scopes in light of changing circumstances. That's right. And actually, we only have a decade. It's in a decade that we're actually going to have any opportunity to actually renegotiate this contract, right? <laughs> so, so one thing... Um, in terms of the Starbucks example, a, a very major way that this is different, this is a regional program and a commitment to um, folks who may have to travel on two or three different types of transit. So while uh, you give your, you know, you pay for a cup of coffee, it deducts you for a cup of coffee. This back-end system says, okay, you bought a cup of coffee, and now when you go to another place, you know, you travel, um, you know, five miles away and you buy another cup of coffee, you're going to get a discount. And it recognizes all of these things. So it's recognizing a clipper card or it's recognizing a credit card and it has to do all of this. And then also you get a two hour transfer. And then if you go to Daily City Bart, so there's all of these rules and things that have to be, and it's complicated with 22 different agencies tag on, tag off, time-based, all of these things. And so maintaining that system so it doesn't break and that customers get the full value of what they're, um, what they're owed in terms of their benefits, 
doesn't matter if it's a credit card open loop or if it's a clipper card. Um, so those are the really important pieces, I think, um, try, you know, maybe tried to present it in too much of a simple way, but th there's all of this stuff that goes on, and every time you make a change, these things have to be tested and the time and development. So um, it is a complicated system, but I think the benefit that it provides by allowing this seamless travel across the Bay Area and opens the doors for so many things going forward that the region is looking at, um, that it, it really... we. We wouldn't want to go backwards to something that just benefits Muni customers um, because of all of these other, um, you know, plans and, and and other things that we're looking at. To that's the whole point of Clipper. I think it's the most successful example of regional coordination, right? I mean, you have one payment method for you know all these different transit agencies. So we want to continue to further that. I'll just close on this. I'm not advocating going back to mm -hmm. like balkanization mm -hmm. of, you know, fares. Did I use that right? Is that what it would be? Yeah, balkanization. <laughs> Balkans don't want to be like them. But what I don't want is an added layer mm -hmm. of IT that becomes obsolete um, mm -hmm. and expensive. And so mm -hmm. I've spoken my piece. That's how I feel. Uh, the last thing I'll say is I feel like a year to get mobile payments, it feels like a long time when other cities that are not the seat of innovation have done it already. So I know, thank you, Diana, for um, uh, trying to get it to the top of transition. I would love if you can just stay on top of this vendor to get it done as quickly as possible, maybe even before that, because it does seem like, I know it's complicated, I know it's a lot, but like other cities have done it. We're San Francisco, it's a little embarrassing that we haven't been able to figure this out yet. And so thank you for just staying on top of them. I feel like Director Tumlin's been passing you notes. <laughs> no. I, I, and actually, Director Yukidio, thank you so much for acknowledging Diana Hammond's role in all of this. Uh, she has been a quiet bureaucratic hero uh, in making sure that this uh, project has stayed on, as on time as it has and that the region has prioritized uh, open payment uh, at all. So uh, Diana has really is is has, has the gratitude of bureaucrats everywhere. <laughs> Director Hemminger, please. Thank you, Madam Chair. Um, I, I think I've shared with this board before that uh, you know you can learn a lot from your critics, and uh, one of MTC's fiercest critics, uh, I think, came up with the best phrase to describe Clipper which is it's an expensive technical solution to a political problem. <laughs> um, and therein lies the answer to some of your questions. But I appreciate the fact, uh, Director Yakutiel, that you're digging into the cost question because that's what I wanted to do too, maybe in a different uh, mm -hmm. vector. And Diana, maybe you could help me with a couple of numbers that I can't square. Um, I think in your uh, presentation, you said Muni was collecting, what, 60% of its money through Clipper? Um, I also read the monthly Clipper report that Jason sends me, yeah, just because I have nothing better to do. Um, and it shows the Muni market share is what it's called at 30%. Mm -hmm. So can you explain, are those two numbers trying to describe the same phenomenon or are they different? It's not actually, so the 62% is of all the re revenue that we collect right. um, is on Clipper. Um, what the monthly report provides to you is based on the monthly national transportation transit database um, ridership numbers, it takes 
our ridership numbers and divides it by the number of times people have tagged on Clipper. Okay. Um, so a trip. So it's trying to compare trips to how many trips are taken on um, Clipper. So they're expressing different things. It's yes. not one's right and one's wrong. Correct. Um, well, maybe to make my point, it's easier to use uh, the market share um, because BART's market share is 98%. Um, and Muni's in the comparable analysis is 30. And the question I've been raising for some time, including with your uh, predecessor, Jeff, is why are we running two different fare collection systems? Wouldn't it be cheaper? Uh, it'd certainly, I think, be a little more sensible to have one fare collection system. Mm -hmm. Now, you can only do that if you go all in on Clipper, because as you said, we're not going back uh, to pennies and tokens and coins. Um, and this occurred when I was still there uh, on the company dime, um, and we sat down with Bart and said, what's it going to take? And there was a negotiation, and we eventually exited that negotiation with a 98% market share. Now, Muni does not have as homogenous a ridership, um, and weird things have happened to it because of the pandemic, right? Because our ridership, uh, you know, the folks who are still riding the system are, they are not your, you know, prime Clipper customers. Um, they're folks who do a lot of other things. They're those other two pieces mm -hmm. of the pie that you showed. Um, but I guess it's really a question to you, Jeff. Um, have we looked seriously at the question of what it would take to go all in and just have uh, both BART and Muni be Clipper? So, yes, there's nothing that I would love more than to be able to simplify our payment structure and to offer fewer forms of payment. But just as we were talking earlier about trying to get more efficient as an agency and more focused on our customers and experiment, Clipper offers none of those advantages. So there are special deals like our $5 all-day pass for the California Street Cable Car line. Not possible with Clipper. Um, many of our discount programs, or currently fare capping, or our all-day passes, not yet possible with Clipper. Uh, being able to provide universal transit for outside lands, can't do it on Clipper, because Clipper is currently stuck in a 1990s technology. We are hopeful- Well, but the, the, the process that's underway is intended maybe not to cure all of those evils, but most of them. The process um, that is underway will help. Whether Clipper is capable of moving as quickly as we move at Muni is another question. So one of the things that we're going to have to evaluate is to what degree are we, to what degree do we need to make a choice between the added expense of maintaining Muni Mobile, which as you can see is 14% of our payment, versus um, dealing with a slower regional bureaucratic process in inventing new exper experimental fares. Yeah, um, and look, that's we're back to the expensive technical solution for Indeed. a political problem. Um, and and look, I, I don't mean to pick on you, but you know, I, I could dream up twenty different promotions and demand that Clipper be instituting them yesterday, um, and I just don't think that would be a very reasonable thing for me to do. 
Um, so I guess I'm back to the question uh, and whether the BART analogy really pertains or not, I don't know, but we were able, uh, and speaking of critics, BART was probably the fiercest <laughs> critic of Clipper, uh, and Muni was always one of its great supporters uh, that got us to this point. But there ought to be a way, it seems to me, where we can knock that number down uh, or up from 30% to closer to where BART is. 30% is really not even trying. Except for the fact that our ridership growth over the last three and a half years has been disproportionately by customers that Clipper can't serve. So that's our challenge. Like, so for, well, for me, it, you know, me. Go ahead. yeah, so for me, what I'm always looking at is, is cost benefit, particularly as it pertains to our customers. And so a program like Free Muni for Youth, it doesn't make sense to have to make sure that every kid in San Francisco has a little plastic card that they can't lose, right? We're a proof of payment system. We open all the doors. BART doesn't have open doors. You have to tag in and tag out at Fairgates. We, in order to improve the efficiency of their system, open all the doors and we rely on proof of payment in order to get compliance. That gives us this amazing kind of flexibility in terms of inventing all kinds of new special things. We would never have been able to get that many people to ride Muni during outside lands if it required six months of negotiations with Clipper and then somehow or another delivering Clipper cards to all outside lands participants. Instead, again, we can open all doors, and that is a unique strength of, of Muni. Muni is the only large transit agency that I know of in the country that opens all doors on all lines, and we've demonstrated that doing so saves us a lot of money because it allows us to move more quickly. Yeah, but Jeff, you're really, it seems to me, treating, Muni, tr treating San Francisco like an island, and as you know, we're a peninsula at least. We are hooked on to the rest of the United States. Um, and I've just got to believe that we can do better than where we are. And I don't doubt, as you say, that we will run into obstacles where you need to make a trade-off. Um, but it can't be, you know, my way or the highway on every single issue, or you end up at 30% market share. That's right. Well, and I agree, and that's why I really appreciate the work that Diana Hammonds has done, getting the region to prioritize the customer and not just prioritizing the accountants. So you know, the work that Diana has inserted into right. all the Clipper work is trying to take the success that we have found here at Muni and have the Clipper system adapt to our success rather than us having to diminish our success in order to please the accountants. Well, uh, look, I share your opinion of Diana, so uh, maybe I'll <laughs> conclude by asking you to ask her uh, to see whether we could make some headway on this subject. She probably remembers better than I do uh, past attempts, which didn't, yeah. uh, didn't yield a whole lot of progress. And look, I, I don't mean to demean uh, the arguments you're making because I, I I have heard them before, which leads to uh, a little bit of frustration, but they're, they're, not, they're not illusory. Um, and Muni does have a ridership base that's different from the rest of the region. Um, but I will say, this, this is not just an academic question to me, it is a political one. Um, and we just went through a legislative session where a San Francisco senator uh, was trying to help public transit 
and he ran into a buzzsaw from the East and the North Bay, who are part of the Bay Area, um, and they were wondering why they should be paying for Muni's shortfall. Um, and I think there are some good reasons to make to those folks about why they should and why they should care. But I also think that when we can, when we have a success, and you know, it's funny this this conversation today almost feels like a defeat. Um, but we have a success with Clipper, and we're trying to build on that success. And I think it's to our advantage uh, for Muni to be a more active and larger player uh, in this revenue stream than it is. Uh, and I think that can have benefits for other projects where we, we need the help of the rest of the region, just like they need our help sometimes, too. Thank you, Madam Chair. Thank you. Vice Chair Kahina, please. Thank you, Chair. Um, Diane, I'm so excited about this open payment system. I know we, at our last retreat, we talked about this extensively, and so it's so great to hear a few months later that this is actually becoming a reality. So thank you for all your work mm -hmm. on that front. Um, I wanted to take a deeper dive on the expanded retail network. Mm -hmm. um, so for both folks that are unbanked, folks that don't have smartphones, folks that are visiting the region for the first mm -hmm. time as well, um, trying to think of you know, as we're trying to figure out what the ideal retailer looks like now that mm -hmm. the phone line's not going to be a, a barrier anymore, um, what should what what's the best profile for a retailer to be compatible with this new new system? I mean, I feel like right now we're really looking at um, location, um, getting away from having you know, this idea that people are traveling from outer parts of the city, everybody's coming into downtown. We have to completely relook at travel patterns to understand yeah. um, where's the best locations for these. Um, you definitely will probably work with um, service planning to try to identify, but really, if you looked at the map right now, there is nothing in the southeast part of the city. There's yeah. nothing in um, you know, the outer sunset, outer Richmond, and the travel patterns don't support the justification that, oh, well, every, you know, Market Street, just come to Mar Market Street and you can load it. So um, it, it's, I feel like it's going to completely flipped from how, and to be honest, the operators were not involved in this um, last time. It really was left to the vendor to, um, you know, it was kind of by zip codes or areas. And so, you know, when you think of how there's neighborhoods that go pretty far out from Market Street, but if you got one on this side of Market Street, you've now you know, met the requirement for that whole neighborhood. So it's um, something I'm very committed to because I, I, to Director Heminger's point, there's a lot of stuff we can't do to try to move the needle until we have access for customers who need to load cash. Um, we have a discount on Clipper, but if people still can't find places to add cash value to their cards, then they don't have any other choice. So. I feel like this is probably the most important work that we can do, um, again, to try to increase the market share um, for customers. So um, I would just say, you know, final, super committed to this. I think between this and the fact that it takes five or six days to load value <laughs> for it to appear on your Clipper card are the two biggest um, complaints we've received. And all of those things maybe people who tried to use Clipper gave up. And so we need to get those mm -hmm. customers back um, by making these efforts. 
Um, so I, I would be happy to report back when we get a little bit further on that working group um, and how that's going to be um, addressed and, and also would love feedback. Yes, and so um, on the working group, um, I think it be, would be great to start engaging family resource centers in particular um, mm -hmm. to get a sense from them on where their customers or their, their clients are looking for um, these sorts of resources. Like, as you said, like Walgreens mm -hmm. was a great resource for a lot of folks, including, you know, my, my neighborhood Walgreens. Like, that's where I loaded my, my Clipper card. Um, and so with the, you know, the, the closure of so many Walgreens, that resource has has diminished significantly, especially in the outer neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. And so um, connecting with family resource centers, we have a CAC as well mm -hmm. that's quite active. Um, and so it'd be wonderful to engage with them to see, you know, where in their mm -hmm. respective regions they think are good, you know, um, hubs mm -hmm. for Clipper. Um, that would be wonderful. Um, but I, I do think that this is an opportunity for a huge opportunity for us that we shouldn't miss to try to advance our equity goals, um, especially as it pertains to attracting customers back, building that trust if they mm -hmm. lost it because the system just wasn't working for mm -hmm. them in the past, um, and making it easier for folks. Um, and so, and and correct. I just want to make sure I'm clear. Uh, I'm clear on this. So the idea is that folks at these retailers would be also able, eventually, um, able to purchase a life pass and discounted passes as well. That's huge. Yes. That is huge. Mm -hmm. um, it's it has been such a cumbersome experience mm -hmm. for so many folks to engage in those discounted services, and. It's, you know, we're asking folks to schlep like, like downtown um, or to like um, to South Venice to like get these these different um, sorts of resources and the barriers are just huge, yeah. right? Well, and so one thing to clarify, they won't be able to um, like apply for the programs, but they'll be able to purchase the products afterwards. Um, so I, I think. Um, what you're referring to is kind of the application process, okay. um, which I think is a separate um, discussion. Um, that, and we need to take a hard look at how we are making those services available during the pandemic. Our IT group did amazing work at at um, building up, you know, online app. But again, but again, we we need to do a better job at marketing because even before we get there, there's a lot of people that don't know about these programs. Um, so it's something we need to take a, a real look at in terms of partnering with some of these organizations. Um, Just to like walk my colleagues through it, what is the current application process? Like what does that look like? For Lifeline? Lifeline, yeah. Sure. Just pick one. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Lifeline is a little bit different because it is income-based. Um, you know, for senior and um, for senior, you just have to have an ID card and fill out an application. Um, so Lifeline, and again, I, I think we've come a long way with that. Um, if you, again, you can apply online, by mail, or in person, um, either at the Human Service Agency office or our Customer Service Center. If you have a Medi-Cal card um, or a state benefits card, that's it. Um, you know, there's a name address on, on an application, but that's something that, that um, automatic. We don't need to see anything else. Um, we also, and um, really shout out to Emmett Nelson, my team worked very closely with HSA um, in order for us to share that information. So we were able to create, um, we, we have a database that we can log into our customer service staff and look and see like someone's name and you know, their date of birth and confirm there. 
nothing, they don't, if they don't have a Medi-Cal card, there's a lot of programs that may not have those, but they appear in that database. Um, and then, once you get past that, you do need to bring um, income tax forms to the Human Service Agency. Um, it's always, I, I think, good when we think about these types of programs. Um, I know we worked very hard to get MTC for the start low-income program, that you have to allow people to provide income tax forms as another option. About half of our Lifeline customers don't participate in other benefit programs. So it really excludes a, a, you know, half of the people. Um, so that is the, the last. And, and one of the reasons also is we want to connect people, you know, if they are eligible, the Human Service Agency can try to connect them with more services. Um, but we have these other pieces, you know, we didn't used to accept Medi-Cal cards, you know, and slowly we all have evolved, right? I mean, there's this concern that, um, you know, you just want to make sure that people that are eligible are getting that benefit, but we've learned and we've evolved our thinking um, and trying to make it much less um, cumbersome. Um, but I feel like the, you know, the next option is not, you know, not requiring. Um, so it, it, we do struggle with that a little bit, but I, I feel like the process has really been improved um, over just, just by that automation. And we're actually working to expand that HSA database lookup to the water department. Uh, like auto return uses it also for tow discounts as well. So really just being able to kind of start something that I know Director Tomlin is interested in from a state level. Like we shouldn't have people going to five different places in San Francisco to get five different city discounts. Exactly. <laughs> um, so we're really focused on that um, and it's, um, you know, it's been a great collaboration with HSA on that as well. I would love to hear more about that. Your next update, just understanding how that collaboration is working, mm -hmm. um, and if there's anything we can do as well to support that work. Mm -hmm. um, the other group that I, I think would be wonderful to engage with and just trying to understand um, the profile of potential businesses that could become a hub um, is our small business working group that is led by Dan DeSez. Um Again, it's just. Mm -hmm. uh, an amalgamation of all these different business corridor leaders, um, mm -hmm. and they, I'm sure, have a lot of perspective on this is this will work for us, this will not work for us, this would probably be the mm -hmm. more ideal um, business to, to recruit or to focus on. Um, but we have a lot of existing, the great thing is that we have mm -hmm. a lot of existing um, coalitions, cohorts, and folks that we could ask um, and start connecting with to, to be very intentional about um, the profile of the business mm -hmm. that we're looking for, those that we're really targeting with this, mm -hmm. um, and ensuring, of course, that this is also, we're targeting our equity neighborhoods as well and prioritizing those as well. Um, in terms of um, group passes, um, I know you mentioned that um, group passes will now be able to, you could purchase them mm -hmm. via Clipper. Um, can you walk us through that a little bit more? I'm just super curious about that um, for a few reasons, mm -hmm. um, but, um, part of it is also like I, uh, I run a nonprofit as well, and we're oftentimes, you know, really trying to find ways to tie folks in, connect them with public transit mm -hmm. um, as part of the services that we include to get them to our festival, all these different mm -hmm. things, right? And so I'm curious to see like how this will improve that process because it, it can be quite cumbersome. Yes, and so, and so what what I spoke about in my presentation is more, um, you know, using the example of like a 
family that comes to San Francisco. And so you can buy four tickets and load it on your card. You can't do that on the Clipper virtual card. So it's very similar to a basic mobile ticketing functionality, but it's gonna be integrated with Clipper. Um, so it's all in the same system. I think um, what um, you may be speaking of a, a different way that we're gonna be able to address um, something. We get this a lot with social service agencies where they have clients they wanna give a one-time monthly pass to. Um, well, you can't, there's a lot of issues with doing that on Clipper, it's $3, um, or even like we still distribute tokens to social service agencies, you know, for that reason. Um, so we're going to have the ability um, now of ordering limited use tickets. So it's what's dispensed from our t ticket vending machines. And instead of having this expensive product developed, all the different products we need, basically we go into a back office portal and say serial card numbers, you know, 15 through 20, load a one-day pass on it, or load a monthly pass, or those kind of things. There's also going to be a, a marketing and promotions portal where you can send out, like, um, and probably would have to have Jason, if Jason's familiar with this, we're still there, um, where we can push out products that people can load on their phones. So there's just going to be a lot more flexibility and options. Um, I think the the lack of understanding the needs of the social service agencies in the first iteration of Clipper was um, a real oversight because it left a lot of people not knowing what to do. <laughs> um, so there's going to be a lot of options for that. Um, and it will allow us to kind of tailor the needs of, of whichever um, organization we work with. Another thing I'd love to hear more about once you come back, um, just because, like, again, selfishly, I'm, I'm super interested in this mm -hmm. because it's something that um, we want to do. We want to be able to engage in public transit in that way, to be mm -hmm. able to promote it within our agency. And, and it can be quite a, a barrier yes. for folks to actually engage mm -hmm. with, with their clients and support them that way. So um, as if we can make that easier for mm -hmm. folks, that would be great. And again, a, a wonderful method to start recruiting folks back into transit. Um, the other piece I was going to touch on was language access. Um, right now I see that um, I have the app, so um, I see that um, the app is available in English, Spanish, and Chinese. I'm wondering if we're going to expand that um, or if there's any appetite to expand that right now. Um, Jason, is this something that you can speak to? Uh, I think at the moment you are correct. Mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> we have English, Spanish, and um, some flight Chinese. And um, we had talked about with a variety of operators, um, I think two other languages, which off the top of my head I'm, I'm not recalling. But um, at the moment there isn't uh, like an effort to push to expand those languages, although we do have uh, language assistance lines for people who call in, for example, to customer service. But for those using self-serve uh, options like the whatever the app, those are the three at the moment. It might be good for us to connect with OSEA just to see like, you know, if this is gonna be a barrier for any of the folks or our customers here in San Francisco. I'm sure those are three key languages, so I'm sure we're covering a lot of our bases, mm -hmm. but just to see if, if there's anything there that, that's missing. Um, 
Now, one of the things I wanted to talk about were the trip tools. So um, the app right now currently has a trip tool. Um, just wondering if there's going to be any changes on that as well, um, any improvements there that, that we could let the public know about as well. Um, Jason, do you have any? So <laughs> nothing specific as it relates to um, the trip tool itself. You'll be able to plan trips. Although the challenge with any trip planner is um, knowing the, the fare classification that you are. So being able to calculate fares is really dependent on whether you're an adult or youth, disabled, or have some sort of uh, discount um, applied. And, and most of those don't typically work in that fashion. So, um, so you'll be able to plan trips like you will with other trip planners, but uh, you know, you'll still have to um, use your clipper card, whether it be your plastic one or your mobile one to pay for your ride. Is, so is the current system right now, does it speak to like, does it use like our Muni software or how does like, I know we made a, a series of improvements to our trip predictability. Um, do those two systems speak to each other right now or are they not? I believe that the um, clipper uh, use, um, I'm sorry, Jason, I'm gonna have to, this we is why I'm here, thank so you. We use, Google, use Google Maps yeah. you know, as the basis of the trip planner that's in the Clipper app. I'm not exactly sure what's in the Muni mobile app, but um, at the moment they don't, they don't talk to each other, no. Got it. Um, and it seems like Google Maps is not always the most reliable, or perhaps Director Tomlin, you can speak to this. Uh, we've been frustrated often with Google Maps taking as long as two weeks to update uh, information even after we've changed the GTFS. So that is an issue, mm -hmm. uh, but we're hoping to get that resolved. And <laughs> Diana, I don't, do you want to speak to our native app? Does it? Does it, I, I had just assumed that it was also on a Google Maps base, but I do not know the answer to I don't, that. I don't have the answer to that okay. either. We can look into that. Yeah, so, um, you know, we're making improvements on this. And again, this, mm -hmm. these are sort of the reasons, many of the reasons why folks um, are not taking transit, right? They, they don't know when the bus is going to come. It's mm -hmm. not something that's reliable. All these different, like, access barriers, whether it's language, how to mm -hmm. pay for a fare, all these different things. So I, I think this new iteration of Clippers is making um, a lot of improvements mm -hmm. to really reduce the number of barriers. And so honestly, this is this is great news to hear, a great presentation, and I'm excited for this. Um, but we do have some things to still, yeah. um, some <laughs> small tweaks that we still have to make, but this is, we're heading in the right direction. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Deanna, Thank for your you. work. Thanks. Thank you, Director Henderson, please. Hi, um, thank you to, thank you chair and thank you to the vice chair for those questions because I sort of was on the same wavelength and I'm mm -hmm. curious in the couple of months when we hear back from you um, whether or not you'll be able to expand the, also the partners. I know H HSA is, um, is probably the best organization but I think that what I found in my work in housing is that for the affordable connectivity program mm -hmm. they, we tried to strike a data sharing agreement so that some of the properties that we own um, that we know are affordable because we only serve low-income clients, um, those addresses would be able to be included mm -hmm. in their system. And so I think mm -hmm. it might be worth, um, you know, kind of connecting with the, with the housing authority because they may be able to provide okay. some of that um, information so that people are not 
don't have to come down, but th by virtue of the fact that they are at a certain address, they might be able to qualify and complete the application process more quickly. Um, and that's thousands of people in San Francisco. So I think, it, you know, there might be some, some luck there. But I have a question about, you mentioned this um, sort of in passing, the product availability, or this is an expansion of product availability, um, but there are some things that won't be covered in this implementation plan. And are there, could you just speak to what is still yet to come? So with the um, transition, the customer transition, all of the products we have now and also a few um, placeholders, like for instance, the California cable car line, we were able to get in there, um, the pilot program that we're doing in case, um, you know, we want to make that permanent. I, I believe what you may have been referring to is going to open payment where you can tap your credit card. Mm -hmm. Initially, that's only going to be available for adult full fare. Um, because there'll have to be a process set up where that credit card is associated with someone who's a senior or somebody, sure. a person with disabilities. But other, otherwise, our products, I mean, the Lifeline Pass, I just, having that on Clipper is something we have wanted since 2007 when mm -hmm. we first implemented the Pass. So um, that, to me, is super exciting. And the fact that it's going to complement the regional low-income single-ride trip programs. So somebody can have a card that says, and they can say, I want to buy a monthly lifeline pass, or maybe I want to do single trips. So it, it creates the same benefit that every other customer type has on Clipper. Seniors can buy seniors or the senior discount pass. Um, so that to me is a long, long time coming um, for the program and, and to have enable people to have choice um, in terms of what meets their needs better. I see. And so is there any um, any additional flexibilities that you, or you know, functionalities that you all have been wanting since 2007 that are not coming with this rollout, or won't be available with this? Well, that's great. Yeah, um, like I mentioned, the ability to say like on Saturday for the holiday season, we're going to do half price on mm -hmm. half price fairs on Saturday and Sunday. We can do that. We can, um, you know, late night transfers and all of these things. So the flexibility will be there. Um, Initially, a lot of them will be, and then also just going down the road, it won't take us a year plus and um, many hundreds of thousands of dollars to make those changes. So that's the, the great thing. All this happens on the back end, um, much more flexible. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Hi. I'm going to go to Director Henzi, who's had her virtual hand for a while, <laughs> and then I'll come to you, Director So. Thank you, Madam Chair. And, um, most of my colleagues have addressed um, most of my questions. Um, I'll tag on Diana just to uh, one that you were just, just referencing about um, if we're going to do, say, holidays, you know, half price fairs, for example. How long would that take to implement that on this new? System. I know the flexibility is going to be there, but how long will it take to, you know, get into the back end of the computer and all that? Jason, maybe, uh, it, I would be guessing so if you know off the top of your head. Yeah, I don't, I don't know exactly for you, uh, Director Hinsey. I would say it's a matter of weeks as opposed mm -hmm. to months or okay. years. Yeah. And it's the kind of thing that we'll still want to test. And also, I'm assuming some of these things you have to, you're probably getting approval from this board for. So, right. 
I assume we can we can meet those timelines too. Yeah. Okay. That's good to know. And then my other question was about specifically about paratransit. I know that in some in so many I was at not before even before I got into this capacity there was there was hope uh, in, in paratransit riding community that. Uh, with Clipper to paratransit fares would be able to be paid using the Clipper system. Uh, I know we have Muni Mobile for the tickets right now for our system within San Francisco, but if you had any sort of inkling as to how that might work with Clipper too, I'd be interested to hear that. That's probably a question for Jason. Actually, I could uh, answer that. <laughs> the integration, uh, Director Hinzi, is underway. Um, that will be available, and it was a requirement in the um, the Clipper contract for rollout. Um, so we're super excited to have that as well. Um, and Jason, if you have an update on kind of where that is, yeah. As far as timing, I I don't have an update on that part, but I will say that you know. To Diana's point, just to expand it a little bit, the the same um, backend booking software that you use and other transit operators use for paratransit will still be there, and you'll be able to use yeah. the funds within Clipper to pay for that trip. Excellent. I, I know some set of people that will be very happy to hear that. Um, um, yeah, and then also just to... to uh, Second, what I think my colleague is saying is that um, it would be great to see. I know that there's technical uh, issues with having the credit card go to identify a person, but I think in the next phase, having the ability to to uh, load a load via your credit card with your credit card a, uh, a disability. Of uh, pass or a senior pass a senior rate I should say would be a good asset to sort of the next iteration of this generation of Clifford but, but great presentation and I stand with particularly director uh, Vice Director Hina and Director Henderson in their uh, ways of really getting the new Clipper and really getting those out into to communities that really haven't had a chance to maybe access them to get as much saturation as we might have, as we might like at, at the moment. So excited for this and looking forward to seeing you in a few months again, Diana. Thank you, Madam Chair. Thank you. Thank you, Director Hinsey. Director So, please. Thank you. Um, I am going to be a really brief question. It's not um, that really technical, but um, I was just saying that like I was really happy and excited to put my Clipper card on my watch. <laughs> I felt so much efficient, and I do my part. And, you know, I like that sound when I buzz my <laughs> Clipper on my phone. <laughs> then I went to, I just came back from Taipei and Hong Kong, right? So I thought, wow, this is awesome. They got these cards that... I can just go around the entire Taipei and go around the entire Hong Kong going between the MTR and also the KCR. And then I was able to buy an eight tart and then buy cough drops in the 
drugstores, and then actually bought my whole groceries that I need to buy to cook, you know. Um, so that I touch upon a lot of different retailers in this whole system of like my exposure to uh, Taipei and also Hong Kong. I grew up in Hong Kong, but Taipei is also phenomenal. Um, I think you can sometimes pay by your um, the equivalent of Clipper card to get into some of these museums and galleries. It's like so permeable. It's kind of just like its own indispensable form of um, access to goodies. <laughs> so it, it, I think uh, I'm coming in new here. I'm always wondering like, will there be a day that this dream will come true <laughs> that San Francisco Bay Area <laughs> We can incentivize people coming from San, uh, Sacramento to just, you just carry this clipper card. You can just fuel yourself with whatever drinks and food you need and come all the way to San Francisco and then get on the cable car and, you know, do all that stuff. Is, is this a attainable, attainable dream? I mean, this is, I'm new, you know, so yeah. <laughs> no, doubt I, I, me for a, wrapped around, this is a really, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, it, Generic question. They, in other um, countries, have done pretty amazing things with um, yeah. with their programs. Um, it's just hard for me to th think past uh, the end of 2024, where <laughs> <laughs> um, I think there's opportunity. You know, there are definitely opportunities to to look into that kind of um, process. I believe Chicago tried something like that, where um, the Clipper card was actually a credit card. Um, but and we've learned a lot. Um, I know MTC staff are really involved in this. Um, but I would be happy to come back and okay. you know with some more information on that. But yes, so what we regularly hear, I, I believe it was uh, Director Kahina or, or someone who said that you know I was in New York and why can't I pay with my credit card? So we're we're getting there, um, and there's opportunities to expand from that point on. But I absolutely um, I, I I do hear hear that quite often. They. They've done it really well in in Hong Kong and Taipei. It just going bound, going back to addressing these cost issues, like who's paying for what. You know, when we have a broader um, interest to chip in, because mm -hmm. everyone can get some benefit of it. Like I mm -hmm. can get more people buying milk tea from me coming here or buying sandwiches, and maybe um, we can attract more um, collectively the willpower to mm -hmm. really move that needle. Yeah. But thank you, though. Thank you. <laughs> hey, Director So. Thank you, uh, Ms. Hammonds, for this presentation and um, for the very passionate and deep debate and conversation <laughs> that it sparked <laughs> among my colleagues. I do think this is, it makes sense to me because this is in some ways people's first interaction with our system is how they pay to get on board. And it really does matter uh, in terms of embodying the kind of agency we want to be, how, how easy that is. So I think you're hearing some very clear direction from my colleagues that we want our system to be as accessible mm -hmm. and welcoming to all people as possible. And whether that's manifesting in a credit card where there's no setup, there's no login, there's no password, there's nothing, you simply get on board and pay with a credit card, that's a wonderful innovation. I wanna commend you for your responsiveness, the responsiveness of this agency to speed up that particular element of the program. 
as well as I want to really just echo and lift up what my colleagues, uh, Director Henderson and Director Hina, are flagging. If we are making moves to make the system accessible to those with a bit more privilege, I really want to make sure that we're doing everything we can mm -hmm. to get those lifeline passes and those discount yes. passes to be just as accessible mm -hmm. and take away any barriers and any inefficiencies uh, that we can there. The one question I have for you is the, um, uh, in terms of uh, this agency innovating, which I always love to see, the fair capping conversation that we had a couple months ago particularly caught my interest because mm -hmm. we are in such a time of sort of uncertainty with the workplace and where you might have purchased that monthly pass in the past, maybe you are not. No, you're not commit. You're not wanting to commit to that monthly pass, but then if you mm -hmm. end up taking that many rides, then of course you want that benefit. Mm -hmm. So, can you just remind us where we are with that fair capping conversation? So, the next generation Clipper will enable. It is included in the business rules to be able to do it, but it becomes. Um, there are some policy discussions. There's some. Um, fiscal evaluations and, and some further discussion that we have to, um, that we should have on that. Um, I would expect maybe as part of the budget that, you know, to, to look into that. Um, but yes, the system is completely, um, it will be enabled to do that. Um, and our, our day passes, you know, operates in a similar way right now where, you know, mm -hmm. you ride twice and $5 is the most that you pay. But yes, the technology will be there. It becomes the, the policy so discussion. That, that's, some, that's a feature we envision in that same fall, summer, fall of 2024. It will be available, fair capping. but but it will be you know a fair change and has to be considered as such as as likely as as part of the budget, um, and equity analysis that would need to occur as well. Okay, and then the last piece of the conversation I just want to elevate and, and reinforce is the sort of Director Yukutiel's point around uh, future proofing this technology as much as possible. That we have kind of come a long way, and mm -hmm. we don't you know, as much as possible. We, Kind of maybe just a question for you is sort of what is the ultimate evolution that that we see? Do we feel like this is it, or you know, do we see this technology <laughs> then being outdated in a number of years? This definitely isn't it. I mean, I, I think one of the challenges that we have is in government agencies is it does take us a long time to get through the contracting process. I know there was a lot of. Um, a lot of thought put into future proofing. Um, and in terms of, um, you know, the ultimate goal, I mean, certainly um, reducing the amount of cash on the system and making it as seamless as possible to where we only are running one transit system, but I, we're not we're not close to that yet. Um, uh, we really need to, I, I think in some ways we're, I mean, in, in many ways we're different from BART, but the fact that we have hundreds of stops that people can get on and off our vehicles, BART, you have a ticket vending machine where you can load cash on a clipper card at every single stop that you're at. So um, I think this sets a, a foundation and a structure for us to be able to think, look towards the future. Um, but we're definitely not um, not the outcome. I think that you know this isn't the end. Everything will continue to evolve. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much. All right. Thank I'm gonna you. go ahead and open up to public comment for those in the room on this topic. Seeing 
None. Secretary Silva, could you open up remote public comment, please? Yes. At this time, we will move to remote public comment, not to exceed a total time of 10 minutes. Members of the public wishing to comment should dial star 3 to enter the queue. Each speaker will have two minutes. Moderator for speaker. Um, thanks again, uh, Chair Amanda Eakin. Uh, Alita Debris, for the record, she and her. Uh, very good conversation. I appreciate you all talking about this. It needs to be talked about. Um, I mentioned to you that uh, I've probably been to more Clipper meetings than uh, discussions than probably anybody, and I've been using Clipper since the brand started. Uh, I guess that gives me some incumbency and qualification, and I've met the Clipper team, and they've always been responsive to my concerns. Um, I am actually doing this work. I let you know that um, Today, I used um, this system called Omni, O-M-N-Y, in New York uh, to pay for the legendary and historic New York City subway. Uh, I've been using it a lot lately, and, and I am signed up for reduced fare, and I am getting the, the fare capping with reduced fare. So my Visa card is serving as an identifier, and so this is doable. I'm actually doing it myself. Um, all these technical possibilities uh, exist. Uh, if you ever want to know more about how to pay for transit, feel free to give me a call sometime. Uh, I can tell you how I do it around the country with all these different apps I have. Uh, but, but I do believe that Clipper uh, can expand to serve many different uh, possibilities. And that's because I use it myself and I have seen the program grow. Apps do not foreclose future possibilities because Clipper is a regional program that benefits me in many ways, helps me to save money, and offers me transfers. I don't see it as an expense, but it is an investment. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Speaker, you've been unmuted. Moderator, let's go to the next speaker. Hi, it's Stacey Brandecker again. I'm thrilled that we're moving forward. I just wish it were faster and um, to a system that, um, yeah, <laughs> that is um, more in line with what Director So experienced in, in Hong Kong. And I, I don't even need it to go for all the purchases, but it would be nice um, that um, anyone could tap any card um, that has available funds and it would be accepted, um, including EBT. I mean, why not? Um, I know it's a food program, but I mean, we, certainly through legislation, it could be expanded. Um, and then it would have the discounts built in, I would assume. Anyway, um, just a thought, and uh, also a, a plug for the, those who have not heard of it, um, especially the new directors, Seamless Bay Area. Uh, that's what we really need. Uh, it's still astounding to me. I lived in, I've lived here for over 20 years, but before that I lived in New York, and um, the nine-county Bay Area is roughly uh, uh, equivalent to what um, New York City is. And um, we should, well, I mean, we're still smaller population, but we, we should be more like that, not have 29 different transit agencies. It's the whole idea that all this complexity about 
switching systems and fares and not overpaying and whatever. And yet, if you're in New York, you get on the subway and that's pretty much it. Um, one agency, um, maybe two. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, anyway, I'm glad we're moving forward. I just wish, wish it were um, into the real future. Thanks so much. Thank you. Next speaker. Speaker, you've been unmuted. All right, Chair Egan, that concludes your public comment. Okay, we'll close public comment to item 11. It's just an informational item, no action, so we can please call the next item. Sure. Directors, that places you on item number 12, discussion and vote pursuant to admin code section 67.10D as to whether to invoke the attorney-client privilege and conduct a closed session conference with legal counsel. Okay, is there any comment on the board going into closed session from those in the room? Seeing none, please open remote. At this time, we'll move to remote public comment, not to exceed a total time of 10 minutes. Members of the public wishing to comment should dial star three to enter the queue. Each speaker will have two minutes. No commenters. Okay, may I have a motion, please, to go into closed session? Motion to go into closed session. Second. Please call the roll. On the motion to go into closed session, Director, Heming um, Director Henderson. Aye. Henderson, aye. Director Hinzi. Aye. Hinzi, aye. Director So. Aye. So, aye. Director Yukutiel. Yukutiel, aye. Director Kahina. Aye. Kahina, aye. Chair Eakin. Aye. Eakin, aye. Thank you. The motion passes. The board will now go into closed session.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television. SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
Actually, item number, we left off at uh, not item uh, number 13, 13 announcement you. of closed session. The board met in closed session to discuss the listed cases and voted to settle both items. Item 14, motion to disclose or not disclose the information discussed in closed session. Colleagues, may I have a motion, please? Motion not to disclose. Second. Great, please call the roll. On the motion not to disclose, Director Hemminger. Hemminger, I, Director Henderson. Aye. Henderson, I, Director Hinsey. Aye. Hinsey, I, Director So. Aye. So, I, Director Yucutiel. Yucutiel, I, Director Kahina. Aye. Kahina, I, Chair Egan. Aye. Egan, aye, thank you, that motion passes. Thank you, please call item 15. Item number 15, authorizing the director to execute bilateral contract modification number 15 to SFMTA contract number 1289, the Van Ness Corridor Improvement Project with Walsh, Constru Walsh Construction, which resolves and releases all outstanding and potential claims, except for outstanding subcontractor claims, increases the contract amount by approximately $5 million, with contribution from the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission of approximately $6 million for a total contract amount of approximately $227 million and extends the project final completion date by 832 days. Okay, good afternoon, directors. Uh, Tom McGuire, Streets Director, and I'm joined by Peter Gavantro, the Project Manager for the Van Ness BRT Program, who's going to give this presentation. Uh, Peter's going to uh, give a quick review of the really good news, which is the success of Van SBRT and how it's making uh, uh, making travel so much easier for thousands of San Franciscans. He'll also review the details in the terms of the settlement and the contract modification, which uh, which uh, Secretary Silva described, and uh, we'll answer any questions you have uh, before we vote. Uh, good afternoon, Madam Chair and Directors. Uh, my name is Peter Gavancho. As Tom said, I'm the project manager on the Van Ness project. Uh, first, I want to start by saying how proud I am to be here. Uh, we've been in service for over a year now, and our travel times are uh, down by 30%, saving up to a half hour on a round trip up and down the corridor. Um, and um, our night owl service has actually increased by 300% uh, the number of passengers we're carrying on the corridor. Uh, in addition to that, uh, as, uh, the San Francisco's got a brand new state-of-the-art bus rapid transit system, safety improvements that will help us reach our um, Vision Zero goals of uh, pedestrian ball bouts and traffic signal countdowns. Uh, a brand new overhead contact system that will improve uh, the reliability of our trolley bus fleet. And uh, the city as a whole is also enjoying uh, brand new road pavement, sidewalks, sewer and water systems, uh, and new street lights with improved uh, pedestrian lighting. So overall, the, uh, we rebuilt the entire corridor property line to property line. Now, uh, we're here today specifically to uh, resolve uh, Walsh uh, Construction's claim number nine. Uh, claim number nine came in, five, in three parts. Uh, the first one uh, totaling uh, just short of $55 million, but eventually topping out about 90, $91.5 million. Uh, these claim, uh, this claim uh, rolled up delays, extra work, uh, a long laundry list of, of issues that, uh, that the contractor had on the project. Uh, after a couple of marathon uh, negotiation sessions, uh, we have uh, settled the, uh, the, the claim for a total of $24 million, of which uh, $6.5 is re uh, retention 
uh, which we were going to we were going to need to pay to the contractor anyway. Um, another 12 million is money that was uh, currently left in the contract, uh, leaving the uh, about uh, 5.2 million dollars um, that we need uh, to uh, of new funding uh, and to increase the total contract value by. can see on this that uh, the, pro the original construction contract was 193 million uh, and change, and we've had about 28 and a half million dollars in contract mods during the course of the project. Uh, this is one more, it's uh, just shy of 5.2 million dollars, uh, bringing the total contract value to 227 million dollars, uh, or 227 and a half million dollars um, to, to uh, settle out this claim um, and close out the contract. So uh, if you have any questions, uh, be happy to try to answer them. Thank you, colleagues. Are there any questions for Mr. Gabancho or Mr. McGuire? Okay, uh, Director Kahina, please. Yes, um, just for members of the public, for them to understand, um, where are we getting the settlement money um, and if we could talk a little bit about that, I know we have Bree here to support us um, with that question. Would you like to? Bree Mohorder, CFO. This was a planned um, part of the project budget when we issued the 2021C revenue bonds. Um, and so it was accounted for in the project budget and the bond issuance at that time. Thank you. Any further questions? Okay, seeing none, uh, I just want to say that there have been a lot of challenges on this project. We're all very familiar with those, but I also just want to say that those time-saving numbers are an incredible validation of the premise of bus rapid transit, of the value of really a demonstration visually in the heart of this city of what transit-first policy looks like on the ground, and I hope for you personally are a validation of all the hard work that you've put into this project because this is really extraordinary performance from our agency. Yeah. So I just want to thank you for all your hard work. It has been, and I just want to thank the, the team, Lance, and, and basically everybody on the team, the engineers, the construction inspectors, everybody else, they, they worked really hard um, in, in difficult circumstances. And um, yeah, I see it every day when I come into work. It's, it's heavily used and it really, uh, a, a high point in, in all our careers. And I think as Director Tumlin told the crowd today at the transit rally, the 49 Van Ness is one of the highest recovery lines of any transit system in the entire country, uh, along with the 22 Fillmore. So that's something to be proud of too. All right, colleagues, I'll take a motion please on this contract mod. You should also take I will comment. go to public comment. And I don't imagine we're gonna have any commenters in the room so we can open public comment. Remote, please. At this time, we'll move to remote public comment, not to exceed a total time of 10 minutes. Members of the public wishing to comment should dial star three to enter the queue. Each speaker will have two minutes. We have no speakers. Okay, close public comment. Now I'll take a motion, please. I'll move the item. Better, sure. There's a second, please. Second. Great. Please call the roll. On the motion to approve, Director Hemminger. Aye. Hemminger, aye. Director Henderson. Aye. Henderson, aye. Director Hinsey. Aye. Hinsey, aye. Director So. Aye. So aye. Director Yukutiel? Aye. Yukutiel, aye. Director Kahina? Aye. Kahina, aye. Chair Yukin? 
Aye. Egan, I thank you. The motion passes and concludes the business before you today. Okay, and I just want to um, acknowledge uh, building off Director Tomlin's comment that we'd like to adjourn this meeting in honor of uh, Mike Delia, Mr. Boston, who is a beloved muni operator in this city. Thank you, everybody. Thank you.